tomorrow we go into battle. All right, so, Lordy, let me fight with the rifle in one hand and good, good book in the other. Yeah. That if I should die at the muzzle of the rifle, die on water or on land, I may know that you, blessed Jesus Almighty, are with me. And I have no fear. Amen. Amen. before you this evening to say thank you. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your many blessings. Now, I run off and left all my youngins and my kinfolk in bondage. So I'm standing here this evening, Heavenly Father, to ask your blessing on all of us so that if tomorrow is our great getting up morning, uh, if tomorrow we have to meet the judgment day, uh, Heavenly Father, we want you to let our folks know uh, that we died facing the enemy. We want them to know that we went down standing up amongst those that are fighting against our pressure. We want them to know, Heavenly Father, that we died for freedom. Amen. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Uh, good morning and welcome to Wanda's Ticks, a black arts and cultural program with the African Sisters Media Network. And that was... Um, uh, prayers of the 54th, necessary uh, from the film Glory, and um, my guest Michael Kubaka Harris um, recommended that I play that this morning on Juneteenth, and it's also the uh, day that we are honoring the 400 years of the, um, ah, I guess the enslavement of our people. Um, how would you put that? And that's exactly how how I would put it. And the idea that people of African ancestry uh, endured uh, well over 400 years. That's 400 years when it was in English colony. Um, Mm -hmm. And the U.S. colored troops, well over 200,000 Army and Navy men and women, fought for our freedom. And the movie Glory is one of the uh, popular uh, representations of that. But it was a very bloody war. Over 650,000 white men died. Over 50,000 people of African descent died so that we could be free today and uh, recognize Juneteenth for what it is, the recognized day of, of our freedom. Freedom came when the soldiers got to your plantation. And that's when you were free. And in uh, June, on today, June 19th, in 1865, 
that's when General Gordon Granger, uh, you know, after the island was secured by the 25th Army Corps, U.S. colored troops, um, he was able to ride uh, uh, into town, as they say. He sailed into town and uh, issued uh, some executive orders uh, that he was given from the president. So today is very special. Right, yeah, yeah. And there are going to be a lot of activities happening because today, um, you know, with regards to uh, the 400th anniversary of slavery um, hitting this this neck of the woods, so to speak, um, in August of 1619 um, in uh, the, um, uh, keep on doing it, saying it wrong, it's not Fort Monroe, it's uh, Point Monroe. Uh, Fort Comfort in uh, Fort Monroe now um, National Park, but that's in Virginia, yes. and so there's the uh, the 400 year commission um, that uh, was established um, via the uh, House um, was the HR 1242 um, 400 years of African American History Commission Act. Uh, yes, and uh, so there. Yeah, so um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the significance of um, of this act and um, and the National Park Service and what's going to be happening in San Francisco this afternoon, early evening, that you are a part of. Well, <laughs> you know, when when the planning of this day happened during Black History Month. There, I mean, things have changed dramatically. I mean, right now, as mm-hmm. we speak, there's a congressional hearing going on uh, d- discussing uh, what we're talking about, the subject matter being uh, the 400 years of enslavement and the infliction that continues to this day. Uh, and Senator Cory Booker, who has a companion bill in the Senate uh, dealing with the study of reparation, uh, shared what happened in his district over the weekend, over Father's Day, you know, with full moon and you know as we all know things go down in full moon because of that energy and how that energy plays out in some of our uh, uh, communities where people are tight together like we're back on the slave ship uh, there's a lot of pain and affliction and murders and you know just traumatic uh, examples that we have to endure today and so yes the uh, 400 year um, commemoration is from sea to shining sea it's going down uh, at the Presidio Specifically, there's over 500 uh, Buffalo soldiers that are buried there. It's going to be a tour uh, in the evening, and the uh, Presidio Trust is going to uh, consider how they're going to uh, utilize the National Park Service land there at the Presidio uh, Fort. Uh, uh, hmm, what can I call it? It's a fort part, part of the uh, the large area there, uh, the last piece of property, several uh, hundred acres that haven't been redeveloped. Um, I'm just drawing a blank there. I used to drill there. Uh, fort Scott is the name of the fort there at uh, Presidio. Oh, okay. And so there's, mm-hmm. uh, in the Natural Cemetery, there's over 500 Buffalo soldiers. vast majority of them fought in the Spanish-American War. Um, and that's just not recognized, the contribution there. And if you go back to 1776, you have enslaved 
people of African descent that were here under Spanish occupation, and then quite a few more uh, Native Americans that were very uh, dark-skinned and mel- highly melanated folks in the, the Miwok, uh, coastal Miwok, that were lumped in with Africans and enslavement at the Presidio. Hmm. Wow. So are you are you a veteran? Yes, I am. Yeah, I, I served, uh, ironically enough, uh, Letterman Hospital uh, at the Presidio uh, is where I did to, uh, my time. I was in the Army Reserves, and I, I fixed medical machines. And, you know, while I was there, I did not, no one told me there were Buffalo soldiers there, and no one told me, you know, who Letterman was. Letterman was a military surgeon. Uh, during the Civil War, and he saved a lot of troops by, you know, figuring out that you got to get that lead out of their body before they would die. And so uh, people from the Bay Area and throughout California raised about half a, a million dollars. I'm talking about black folks in, you know, in, in the 1860s uh, to f- help finance the U.S. Sanitary Commission, which today we call the Red Cross, and it was black folks that led the charge to do that. It's black folks are out there fighting. U.S. colored troops are out fighting, and they're dying on the battlefield because there wasn't proper medical attention. So, it, I mean, the San Francisco and the California story attached to the gold rush just hasn't been uh, taught well. And in the gold rush era, the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom was uh, established here in California, uh, freeing people from slavery, sending people out here uh, uh, in various capacities to help with the effort, abolitionist effort, and then just buying people out of slavery with gold. Wow, wow. Yeah, I was just thinking about how, you know, when you make that that trek from Sacramento to Ocean Beach uh, in October for the Ma'afa commemoration, I mean, you you coming back to your old stumping grounds. I mean, not only are you commemorating um, uh, philosophical, but, you know, real African ancestors of the Middle Passage, um, you're also commemorating those ancestors that are right there buried at the Presidio and, and fellow veterans like yourself. Isn't that amazing? I just find that oh, out it's, now, it's, right? It's, <laughs> it's, 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 very, it's real deep. I mean, for me personally, um, you know, my grandmother, who was born, you know, in in the sacred uh, valley in you know, Choctaw County, Alabama. The last time I saw her alive was in San Francisco. And, I mean, she's buried in Vallejo. And, and my grandfather, mm. when he fought in the, uh, the Vietnam War and before that in the Korean War, I mean, I didn't see him, you know, embark and come back from uh, the, the the theater in the Philippines, but uh, he would leave and come back from San Francisco. So, I mean, for me, uh, I mean, it's a very personal trip. And then also, you know, imagining, you know, as we do when we go to the Ma'afa for, you know, for us for, you know, my God, 20-plus years, 25 years, um, imagining the same voyage that our ancestors took, you know, uh, from the various dungeons, castles along the coast of west and south uh, southern western Africa uh, here to the Americas and then slavery in California just is not talked about we're we're just beginning uh, to peel that 
uh, layer back um, and and deal with it uh, so we can go forward. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. So, so were you were you raised in Sacramento or raised in 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 San Francisco? I was born at McClellan Air Force Base in Sacramento, and I spent uh, you know mm-hmm. most of my uh, uh, childhood in Sacramento. Yet, uh, okay. my, I had two sets of grandparents and, and a whole host of extended family throughout the Bay Area, centered in Vallejo. Uh, my uh, parents met at Vallejo High School. Uh, my mom from Alabama, my father from Louisiana, uh, both of them steeped with, you know, ancient Native American traditions and ancient African traditions that they didn't talk about much, but it came out as I got older and you know, I kind of got uh, just who I am and what my experiences have been and what I was exposed to kind of like, you know, stuck in learning all this stuff and blessed with learning this history. So I know it very well where we come from, mm-hmm. the responsibility in that. Right, yeah, yeah, you, you really do know a, a lot, and you're going to be leading a lot of tours and giving a lot of talks. <laughs> um, uh, this, um, I guess, uh, for the rest of this month, throughout um, uh, the um, Sacramento kind of area, not to mention, you know, tonight um, or this afternoon um, over at the Presidio in San Francisco. Um, and uh, could you talk about the uh, the Underground Railroad um, project that, um, I don't know if there's a terminus at the, uh, the Presidio, but you gave us um, uh, a brochure at the Libations for the Ancestors earlier this month and I was wondering if you could talk yes. a little bit about that and, and give people, if there's a, a website, I know the website for, um, you know, your work as regional director of the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, that's uh, njof.org, people can go there. But I was wondering about the other other work that um, that you're involved in. And also if you could tell people where you're going to be giving these tours, because it looks really interesting because, you know, people don't think about, you know, Folsom, the city, um, was established by a black man. I mean, now people just know it for the prison. Uh, yeah, and he actually swindled um, uh, Leandor's um, mother out of her inheritance. Um, and he, you know, he took a lot of, a lot of. I know people might not even know Leandor, so you can mention that too. I'm not like an expert on the history like you, but <laughs> I can drop a few names. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's all it's all intertwined and connected. So um, mm-hmm. the national director of the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom that's at the Harriet Tubman, it's based at the Harriet Tubman Visitor Center in, in Maryland. So that's, that's the best place to start is the National Underground Railroad Network to Freedom. And each state has locations that are designated by the National Park Service, part of the Interior Department, uh, federal government. And there I means real clear the process on getting uh, recognized. Here in California, hasn't been much energy, hasn't been much focus in that, simply because the history of California is not taught in schools. Um, slavery in California certainly is not discussed. 
so you know seems natural to say that there's no need for an underground railroad network to freedom in California since there's no slavery here. Well, none of that's true. And so um, people of African descent were brought here uh, when folks were in the gold rush era. And ironically, in 1860, uh, the election for president, Abraham Lincoln, only won the vote in California by 711 votes. So it was like... 49% 49% wanted slavery here, wanted a president that embraced slavery, and 51% um, wanted people to be free and everybody, uh, you know, be equal. Unfortunately, people of African descent, and if you go into the California Constitution Convention, are not citizens, cannot vote, can't testify in court against white men. I mean, there's a whole host of black codes that were put in place in California. And against that backdrop, uh, people of African descent had underground networks to freedom, getting people out of slavery here in California. Uh, Militarily, sometimes, uh, purchasing people. And other times, I mean, we're talking about a lot of people. We're not talking about one or two locations. We're talking about the entire state of California, Uh, L.A., throughout the Central Valley, in the Bay Area, uh, in Sacramento, of course, throughout the gold mining district, people were enslaved and worked in that cold water. Uh, in some cases, they were able to purchase their freedom. other cases, they just had to wait till the Civil War was over. So there's, there's uh, spots along that Underground Railroad Network of Freedom. And in San Francisco in particular, uh, you have the bedrock of our communities, the AME Church, the AME Zion Church, and the African Baptist Church um, that were uh, the, I guess you would say, the foundation and undergirth the uh, freedom movement in California. And the folks in San Francisco, where the money was, the hard work was in the mining districts to get the gold and get the money and the wherewithal. But the spiritual leaders were ministers, were uh, educators, uh, men and women that uh, in many cases were sent out here to do so, uh, be leaders, because they were leading the cause in New Bedford, Massachusetts, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New York, um, and then places where they were able to escape enslavement um, throughout the South. And they came to California and, I mean, you know, you're able to express yourself in different ways here. Mm. Wow. So in, yeah. in terms of tours, so, uh, when I get off the yeah. phone here, I'm going to jump in the shower and head, uh, watch a little <laughs> bit more of the hearing and jump to go to the state capitol. And we have uh, Juneteenth at the capitol. We're going to go into the Civil War Grove, um, and we're going to talk about uh, how we ignite the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom here in, in, in the Central Valley. And then uh, later this afternoon, we'll head towards the Bay Area and be able to participate, uh, get, get an update on the Presidio action. And uh, later on this month, we still have stops in, in Folsom, Juneteenth. On the 29th, we have stops uh, this weekend in the Bay Area. Uh, we're going to engage the ambassador for uh, Ethiopia and see how we can have um, the Africa
the union recognized Juneteenth in a in a bigger, more serious way because people of African mm-hmm. descent left Africa and were enslaved here, uh, not just in America but throughout the the Western Hemisphere. I mean, more mm-hmm. Africans were enslaved in Brazil than they were in the United States, and uh, we have a role and responsibility to make that clear because just as we're recognizing it here uh, in, in the United States. Um, throughout the Caribbean, throughout Central America. There's a lot of enslavement, and it has not been recognized. They don't have the kind of political power that we do uh, to have the Congress recognize it and then have a commission to study. But it, it should we uh, embrace our responsibility in the sixth region of the Africa Union, take that serious. And what I mean is the, the Africa Union is one block, and here in the Western Hemisphere, we're the sixth region. And uh, we have a role and responsibility to, you know, take that serious and do the work uh, to honor our ancestors. And the elders that are still with us, our esteemed elders that are still with us, that, you know, point the direction um, uh, for the work that we should do. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And um, in... Um in Oakland, California, we're going to be uh, screening the film um, tonight, uh, Sankofa, uh, 1993 classic, directed by Haile Jarima. And uh, we're also going to be singing and we're going to be uh, saying some prayers in, in African language. It's going to have some refreshments. Um, and uh, it's going to be it's a free event at Joyce Gordon Gallery Um uh, 406 14th Street in, in downtown Oakland, and um, we uh, we're going to be making if people come a little early, we're going to be making some percussion instruments because uh, it's a national day of um, of drumming um, as well as uh, healing, and so um, if people know the film Sankofa, it starts with this wonderful gun, um, not gun, but um, drumming. Uh, right there on the uh, outside of Elmina uh, slave slave dungeon, and, uh, and if you know the story, it sort of takes us back in time. Um, it's really really great, and then brings us to the present because um, the um, the drummer, the master drummer, he tells the woman on the beach, um, Oye Funmike, uh, Ogunlano's character Mona, that she needs to remember. Um, who she yeah. is, you know, remember her African ancestors, and she's, you know, she's a, a model and enjoying the sand, but not really enjoying the people because she doesn't recognize that these people are her people, and uh, and so um, she ends up um, taking a journey, um, and and that's what Sankofa means. It means to to go back and fetch it, um, to go back and reflect on our history. And reflect on his the historic um traumatic journey that our ancestors our great ancestors made and and the survival of of this horror horror called you know uh chattel slavery and you know like you said earlier, you know the treatment the maafa the calamities you know still exist uh in the present, and that's why we call it maafa because is is bigger than a holocaust because it's continuing and but sankofa can help us um you know remembering our ancestors can help us stop you know this maafa from continuing particularly by our own hands 
and we can heal, you know, this rift, um, which uh, definitely has an economic component of it. So these these hearings that you are um, watching presently, they're probably going to be archived, right? And people can go back and watch them later. How how do they access that? Yeah, it's. Um, I was accessing it live on C-SPAN, and so I'm certain they'll be oh, archived. Okay. And then there's. Okay. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's so much activity after the hearings today. There's going to be uh, additional. Uh, uh, I will say a symposium, additional uh, conversations at the AME Zion Church in Washington, D.C., uh, and that mm-hmm. that will be something to review as well. And, you know, we all know and love Danny Glover. Uh, he'll be there representing very well the, the historical legacy of the first uh, School of African Studies uh, in San Francisco and being a son of the West. Uh, he's very knowledgeable in, in, in our journey. And so the West Coast mm-hmm. will have uh, strong representation uh, at these hearings, uh, as well as, you know, our sisters um, that are there, uh, Barbara Lee, um, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Karen Bass, who chairs the Black Caucus, and um, uh, our queen sister, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who chairs the Financial Services mm-hmm. Committee that will have something to say on how the money is being allocated for the study. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings. This is not just looking for a check. You know, There is uh, restorative justice that happens uh, for everyone else, and it's going to happen for people of African descent. But the way Congress mm-hmm. works, you have to have uh, on the record um, what the egregious acts were, and then mm-hmm. uh, you you have a uh, body that looks at it and then decides, oh, these are the actions we're going to take. It's regular order of business in Congress, and that's we've never been part of the regular order of business in Congress uh, on the side of dealing with what happened during slavery. We've always been on, hey, look, this is the affliction, and this is enslavement. Mm-hmm. And so that's the American mm-hmm. story. And then so to be extremely uh, balanced and fair is that we, we, ha- we haven't done a good job of really showcasing and highlighting uh, the African civilization, the grandeur and glory, the millions of years of civilization that we've had uh, that was taken from us because all we've known is enslavement and affliction on this land. So that's pretty much what we talk about. But who we are, what flows in our bloodstream, uh, is just the creation of humanity on the planet. We can go back to the oldest human beings with the brain case of modern man, and that's that's our family. That's what's in our bloodstream. And because of, you know, this enslavement and affliction, we don't recognize, you know, us being a part of, you know, creating agricultural industry, building, you know, sacred cities throughout the African diaspora here in the United States, uh, I would say the America, you know, the oldest document civilization in the American uh, is, you know, on the Mississippi, the Washington nation. And, you know, the, the base of the pyramid in, on the Mississippi River are just, are larger than the base of the pyramid in uh, ancient Kemet because of the, the material that they had to use to carry that weight. You had to be a little bit broader at the base, 
and so it's made out of you know uh, just natural organic materials. It's not made out of stone as you had that material uh, in the Nile Valley. So anyway, the the the, the concept that we have uh, this enslavement and affliction, yes. But if we measure it against what we were taken from, uh, it will be no discussion on whether we need uh, serious considerations for reparations. But often in the conversation, you know, people are focused on, I want to check, somebody owe me. And that's just, you know, it, it's a childlike conversation. You have to be able to say, well, what, what did you lose? Uh, were you, in fact, in the class that were harmed? Um, and how can you prove that? You know, you, you don't even know who your great-grandmother is, but you want to check for what her mother endured. So, I mean, it just makes no sense. But uh, that's part of the challenge we have is what we're facing. Mm. <laughs> ah, wow, yeah. <clears throat> I I was just thinking, um, I was looking at um, a text that I got yesterday from uh, from my friend uh, Abelina Conke, and and she asked me. She says, "Greetings, Wanda. Did you know that the Civil Rights Subcommittee has no African, no Americans descendants of slavery?" Um, Sheila Jackson Lee is the only African of first generation Jamaican, which excludes her from U.S. reparations, and she isn't posing monetary compensation. What is uh, what does that mean? Well, I mean, it, it's a fair question. But, I mean, it presupposes that there's somebody else that has seniority that could even be on that committee. If, if you're, if you're uh, not familiar with the U.S. House of Representatives and how it operates and functions and who are the members of the Judiciary Committee, uh, in, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of two African Americans uh, on the committee, if I'm thinking right, um, Representative Green and Representative Lee, I believe, are on that committee. I, I got to, I mean, I'm just thinking. So there's no, there is no other African American. So I mean, you know, that that's discernible. And the man who chairs mm-hmm. the committee, uh, who represents a black district, uh, uh, it's a Jewish gentleman named Cohen, who's a congressman representing Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, you you could get upset, you could, you know, point the finger. The reality is, uh, you know, we're, we're roughly 10 percent of the U.S. House of Representatives. You know, 10% is not going to get you everywhere and every subcommittee. It's just physically impossible. But what can get us in all the committees is having the primary documentation and actually participating and being a uh, a person that has standing that can get and testify at the hearing. You don't have to be a, a, a black person to have the uh, information and the documentation to present in an official capacity so that it can be officially taken up on the floor of the house. You you can't just, you know, holler and scream in California that they need to do this and they need to do that and they need to do this. You have to either physically get on the plane and go yourself or you have to have somebody represent you in the house of represent, representatives. And so I would, mm-hmm. you know, whoever it is, I would, you know, uh, Get with some people and call down to your representative. Barbara Lee is the perfect person. Uh, and then uh, make your uh, written statements and verbal statements known so they can be part of the record and you, we can weigh in. Because, I mean, we did the same 
a similar conversation with the black farmer um, uh, class action lawsuit case. And, you know, it took 30 years. And thankfully, I was just there for the last five years. So I didn't have a lot of the, the pent-up frustration and, uh, you know, just tired, being tired, tired of going there, spending your money and, you know, uh, your own black people, some of your biggest enemies, because they want, and I'm saying enemies in the sense that they don't understand the process and they're not helping and they're not supporting you uh, get through the process. So that's the same thing with reparation. We finally get there. We finally have a hearing. Uh, John Conyers is no longer there. He spent, you know, God knows how many years uh, with the case and just didn't get the kind of support he should have had. And now that we have hearings going on, now that we have, you know, a lot of uh, assistance from a lot of angles, we have a greatest dissension I've ever seen in the reparation movement amongst black folks. We don't want people from the mm. Caribbean that were enslaved a part of it. We don't want people from Central America a part of it. We, we you know, it's just for black folks in America. And, <laughs> you know, you can't even, you don't even know your own personal genealogy. It's, it's part of it is just ignorance. Part of it, I want a check, and then you can't even pr- prove your position to get a check, you know. And there, and some of these people are speaking the loudest, and they're paid in some cases to do so. Uh, th- that we're finding out, but the reality is, we've been enslaved and afflicted, and it's right out of their Bible, the King James Version of the Bible, uh, Genesis 15, chapter 12 to 14, verse, and. Um, there is judgment that is taking place, and we can see it. But some of the judgment is on us because, I mean, there, the God, the creator, you know, the things that we hold dear uh, has to be just. You know, no different than this week. Uh, full moon for Father's Day. Uh, Juneteenth is here. Summer solstice is here. And some of us still celebrate the ancient African New Year's Day when the sun shines into the pyramid at the geographical center of the Earth landmass. And so we know because we've been taught, but a lot of us have been taught and don't know and will fight us tooth and nail to say that the the pyramid that gives the plateau is the center of the earth, and that's how we quantify time on planet earth. They'll fight us to death because they've been taught that it was that the white folks created that, and it's, it's in England. Greenwich, Greenwich time is in England, and the white folks did that. And how dare you? contradict what I was, I have a PhD. How dare you contradict what I learned in the white folks institutions of higher learning. So we're going to have that challenge here in the West. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's been really wonderful speaking to you, um, Kubaka. Um, Yeah, I am looking forward to um, having you join us again and, and talk about what happened um, this evening and just sort of reflect on, on you know, this moment in, in uh, American history, um, you know, where our ancestors are are the focus and taking, you know, sort of um, the national national attention maybe because it's people are trying to, you know, become that, that, that person who is the, uh, uh, the nominee for their party. Um, <laughs> um, but whatever the reasoning, um, it's uh it's it's good you know um that um today and maybe for the rest of the month but definitely today um and prior to today 
um, you know, um, people are lifting up the names of African ancestors and and talking That's about right. freedom, you know, as those brothers did. In that clip that we showed of the that we showed, <laughs> that's funny. As we heard, well, from yeah, that film. yeah, yeah, glory. It's a video. It's not the <laughs> movie, uh, but you're 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 absolutely right. And and, and those soldiers um, that fought for our freedom. I mean, they. I mean, can you imagine leaving California and putting on a a, a uniform and fighting in the Massachusetts 54? Well, that that's what folks in California did, and, and you know we just. We haven't given that enough uh, respect. And knowing that for 300 years, people were enslaved in California. Well, this is Spain, you know. So you know, mm-hmm. if all you want is money from England for what happened in the 13 colonies way over on the East Coast, and you live in California, and it was 300 years of Spanish enslavement, you forget that, or, you, or you're from uh, Louisiana, and it was French that was your, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. slave master. Or you from, you know, the, the northern part of California and Russian was your slave master. And so, you know, I, I just, having source documentation and information, it, you just shake your head and say, well, you know, I, go and do what you're going to do, but you're not going to be successful if you're not. It's just like if you get in an accident and you say that I wasn't at fault, but you had no insurance and you don't have a driver's license, and you say, I wasn't at fault. You know, when you get to court, it's going to be a different story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I also want to let our audience know that uh, in the Sacramento Observer, uh, com. Um, June 6th, uh, this year, 2019, there was a really, really wonderful article um, by um, uh, John Templeton uh, entitled The Victory of Black Courage and Patriotism, which sort of looks at some of this history that you're speaking of right now, uh, Kabaka. And so I want to let people yes. know about that article so they can go read it. And the Sacramento Observer is is a, a black newspaper. It's an, a newspaper published um, by African Americans for people of African descent. So I want to let people know about that. Um, we have our, our next guest um, in the studio. She's been patiently waiting, uh, Ebony Yvonne <laughs> Dallas. Uh, yeah, Ebony, I don't know if you want to say hello to Brother Kubaka because, um, you know, you're coming to visit us from Oklahoma City with this wonderful exhibit oh, wow. um, at Joyce Gordon Gallery. And, uh, and you've got a fabulous story of sort of, you know, being of African and African American heritage recently <laughs> and and making your way back home to learn more about your your uh, Somaliland ancestor, your dad. Yeah, yeah, thank you all. Thank you for having me and it's been I've just enjoyed listening to you all, so <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Yes, welcome. So, Kabaka? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Okay, I'm I'm signing out. Peace and blessings. Okay. Peace and blessings. Have a good, Have a good full day <laughs> representing us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, your your exhibit. Oh my goodness. Um, through uh, is it Abahe? How do you pronounce it? It's um through Abahe's eyes. 
which translates to okay. uh, so Abahai means my father. So I have so it's okay. like through my father's eyes. Mhm. Yeah. What language? Uh, Somali. Yeah. So um, Abahai. It's like it's actually I was telling the other day. Um, it's almost it's kind of like Spanglish. So I mixed a little bit of English with Somali, but Abahai by itself means my father. So I added the apostrophe mm-hmm. S and just kind of, um, yeah, so it's through Abahai's eyes, so through my father's eyes. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, read your bio, and I want to let our audience know that uh, your exhibit, um, Through Abahai's Eyes, um, is up at Joyce Gordon Gallery, uh, again, 406 14th Street in Oakland, downtown Oakland, same location as the film tonight, and um conversation uh, about our ancestors. We're going to see the film Sankofa. So same venue. And this Friday, the 21st, which might be um, the solstice, depending on sort of where the sun is sitting, but it's it's this weekend. Because <laughs> this is, oh, wow. you know, it's going to be the first, first day of summer. Um, so it's going to oh, be yeah, the 20th, yeah. 21st, 22nd. It's this weekend, folks. So really wonderful to be able to celebrate that with, with Ebony because she's going to be giving an artist talk from 7 to 9, and you'll be able to walk through all this wonderful memory work, uh, really big, beautiful portraits with, you know, her father's eyes coming out of her face, and then her father. I really love the the one with your father holding you. That's really, really Mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, And it was just perfect for Father's Day. I think this is a real perfect Father's Day exhibit and every day is Father's Day so even if you didn't see it yet it's just like perfect because it's about father loss even though you, you're blessed to have two fathers right mm-hmm. <laughs> you've got your yeah, biological father who you just met you know um, you know, and really met through this, this work of 15 years of meeting your family you know instead of it being you know more intuitive now you have an actual you have actual people and you've touched people and they've touched you you know tangibly like with your hands and hugs and kisses and tears and all that and then you've got you know the father that raised you and your mom of course but you know since we're talking about dads you know a lot of times um, a lot, not much attention. I don't think enough attention is paid to how much girls need their dads, right? And women oh, yeah. need their fathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, definitely. So anyway, yeah. So back to your bio. <laughs> Evelyn Montalas is an award-winning artist, writer, and founder of Africa Nation Artist Organization, which people might remember because uh, when did you start that? Because it's been around a while now. It has been a while. Um, in 2010, it was founded, um, but really my time spent as a, you know, because I was living here at the time, living in the Bay Area, <clears throat> and would go back and forth between, you know, between the Bay and um, and Hergesa, which is where my father's side is from, uh, which is, you know, the Somaliland area, so Somaliland um and a lot of the world knows it as, you know, it's Somalia. So, um, but, you know, my time at, I was a student at California College of the Arts when a lot of it, you know, when I was doing a lot of research and um, and African Nation was, you know, pretty much formed in that time, but then continued in, in you know, an even broader way 
um, once I graduated. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I didn't know you were at. Yeah, and I didn't even know you were at CCA. Um, <laughs> what what year did you finish there? Yeah, I graduated in two thousand nine um, with an MFA in design, but like my whole thesis ended up being about the arts. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was like <laughs> design and art and ways that art and design could be uh, could be used to bridge divisions um, amongst African descendants um, here in the U.S. So whether you're Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Latino, you know, um, you know, African-American, it's, you know, all of that, just bringing people together through art for community activism. And so that's when you and I met, you know, that's probably around the time that you and I met and, and we were able to work together in some ways, which was really, really cool. And it's great to reconnect after all this time. <laughs> right, yeah. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the imagery that, that defines a people, um, you, know, continu- you know, specifically people of African descent, um, a lot of that imagery is, is, um, is negative, and yes. and then you think about sort of the impact of those images on our psyche, um, and, and you know which which comes out through our bodies, right? You know what we think affects how we act, and yeah. and then so you know as a person you know whose scholarship is in design and image, um, and then you make images, so you you know we can sort of counter, you know the dominant narrative of 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 this this distasteful. Um, marketing campaign, so to speak, of our people. And it's not just Definitely. the United States, it's, it's Western, it's like global. It's just like every time you turn around, like there's one of those images. Um, uh, and, and most of the time, actually all the time, you know, when they're not seeped in, um, like the people who are making the images are not the people. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. For the oh, most part, it's usually propaganda. Not, yeah. yeah. Slander. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which is really yeah, what, I, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, um, what originally brought me to, to the Bay Area was working in advertising. So that was mm-hmm. kind of what brought me here was, a, was working in advertising. And you really see, <laughs> I mean, it, advertising turned out not to be my thing, but, um, mm-hmm. but definitely you, you learn, like, companies, they don't you know, they don't care about, um, you know, they care about selling their products and they're going to do that by whatever means it takes to do that. So, um, you know, the kind of images that are, seem to be popular or more accepted or acceptable, um, you know, that kind of, that dictates what they put out there. And I, you know, that was, that was pretty much the baseline for that and wasn't really, Something I wanted to continue to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but it was yeah. good that you have that that you know knowledge because then you know your your work is more purposeful because you your images your pictures your paintings um, your drawings. Oh man, it's just when you walk into Joyce Gordon Gallery, you just feel like a warm embrace. <laughs> it's just like wow, so beautiful it's just like you step off you step off the block for a moment into a whole nother world i mean you know the poster 
you know, with with your beautiful face. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, who is that? You know, what is that? Is that a person or is that a goddess or who, what? Oh, you know, wow. it's just so fantastical, but we know that it's real because it doesn't look like otherworldly, but it does have mm-hmm. that otherworldly kind of effect because it's mm-hmm. it's happiness. When you walk in, you just feel really light and happy because the colors, and then the other two wonderful artists that are, are also um, pictured in, you know, in the rear of the gallery. I mean, you all work so well together, <laughs> all three of you. Yeah. It's oh, just a yes. really well-done um, com- uh, exhibit. Yeah, that's uh, Kalima Amilak, and I hope I'm not pr- mispronouncing um, um, her name at all. Um, and Zoe Boston, they have uh, mm-hmm. works that are called, uh, their show is titled New Works. And so we'll all be mm-hmm. on the artist talk panel, which is wonderful. I look forward to, oh, really? to oh, you okay. know, to the whole discussion. Yeah, yeah, we'll all be up there together. So that's exciting. Oh. Yeah, they oh, do nice, have a lot nice. of wonderful work in there too. Okay, yeah, I thought you were gonna fill the whole two hours all by yourself. <laughs> no, I'm thankful that I. Do. <laughs> I was like, whoa, you gotta be talking really, to us so long. Really They're probably really showing really us some movies and things because oh, yeah. you have them. <laughs> I mean, you oh my you God! Your work. You wish you go to your website. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to to keep it up. Um, but yeah, I'm mm-hmm. thankful to be on the panel with them. So, you know, mm-hmm. it'll. I'm sure it's going to be a lively conversation, and I hope everybody comes out. It'll be. It'll be good. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Particularly, you know, if it's one of those um, uh, once in a year. Um, um, sort of uh earth centered moments um you know solar moments um like mm. like the equinox you know you can sort of let go of what's 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 you know what's uh, not serving yourself or not serving us as a community and and you know and take on some new things and if you don't know what then you could look around the gallery and read something that ebony wrote cuz your your <laughs> memoir is is the text and each one is like a meditation. It's like, okay. And then, you know, the other artists, too, similarly, they have great titles, and you could just sort of sit and just look at the landscape that is the work and just meditate on that. So if you don't know where to go <laughs> so far as your life yeah. or your spirit and you need to figure it out, art, you know, particularly art that's coming from a place of love for our people is the best place to situate yourself. So you can go early and just hang out because the gallery is open a lot earlier than 6. <laughs> I think it's open at, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, is it open at what yeah, time, 11 I think it's open at 10. I think it's open 10. at 10. Yeah, it's open yeah, early. It's 10 to 6 mm-hmm. every yeah, day. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you I can get Wednesday a chair through six. Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, and I like what yeah. you were saying just yeah. about, the, about the journey of it. And I think um, – the show or the body of work through Abahai's eyes is is all about this journey and it's from mm-hmm. a you know place of pain and healing and joy and and it's just kind of going through the process over the years that I've as I've gone through it virtually because the first painting um or the oldest painting uh in the show is is a painting that I did back in college. So back in 2003, um, just before I met my family. Um, and just, I guess I'll give just a quick brief about the show. Um, 
so the show just mm-hmm. kind of takes you through, you know, it's called Through Abahai's Eyes, and it's, um, it is sort of an ode to my father, or it's a story about my father's life, about my life. Um, my biological father, Saeed Osman, came to the U.S. from um, from Hergesa, or, well, actually, yeah, so anyways, he came to the United States from Somalia back in the 70s and came as a student um, to Oklahoma, and he was killed by police officers before I was born, so when I, my mom was just about three months pregnant with me, um, and so There's, you know, I don't, you know, I probably won't go into all the details about his death because there's still a lot of stuff to find out and stuff that I'm learning. But, um, but basically we were told he committed suicide, but I've learned since that that's not true. And so this is just going through that, that process of, you know, as a kid thinking, you know, going from, oh, because I always heard two stories, either my father committed suicide or he was killed by police officers. Um, as a little kid, I chose to believe he was killed by police officers because who wants to believe their parent would do that, knowing that you were on the way? Um, and then as I got a little bit older, I started to believe, you know, maybe high school-ish or whatever, I started to believe the other story because that's a story that my mother believed. And so um, just kind of takes you through that process, the process of just wanting to know that side of the family because my mom and his family lost touch when I was, you know, about three years old. You know, people moved. My mom got married. They moved. My uncle, who was their primary contact, he moved, and they just lost touch. And um, then after coming here to the Bay, um, just after college, like literally two weeks after graduation, I was here. Um, about two months after moving here, I met a man named Hakeem who knew my entire family and knew that they were looking for me. And so, so that the show is about, it's about loss. It's about, you know, it's about searching for, you know, because I always wanted to know that side, um, and I always searched through art, so I would paint images of Somalia, paint images of Africa in general, and um, as a way of just searching, and so it kind of, my paintings even start there, and then go into, you know, once I did get to know my family, and once I was at a place where I was ready to know more about my father, because for so long I was angry with him, um, and so it's about that whole journey. Um, and, um, and then the excerpts from the memoir just take people through that process as well. And I just selected pieces that, um, in the artwork and the writing inspire each other. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I couldn't have written, um, what I wrote without painting because a lot of times I didn't have the words to express the feelings that I had. So I would draw or I would paint and then it would sort of come out and in a flood in a way um, so that, you know, they kind of worked in tandem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And that's that's really beautiful, you know, when, when you're a writer, you're able to, um, you know, to create your own, your own text. Um, but then others, you know, can, can be so inspired. And so, again, you know, back to how, um, you know, your work, uh, could actually act as as a healing kind of um, yeah. 
I guess, or meditation for people that are maybe struggling with, you know, things around their own ancestry, their own heritage, their own relationships with their parents, fathers, grandmothers, mm-hmm. uncles, but particularly fathers, um, could could let your, your work um, in, inspire them to go deeper into those areas where maybe they might not want to explore, but your work could hold them. Like I said, when you walk in, um, you know, there there is um there is loss, there is pain. But your work it's it's like a cycle the way that mm. it's, it's it's a you know, that you tell the story. Because, um, you know, you actually were were able to like process this. I mean, you know, as a young girl not knowing and having these two versions of how your father died and then as an adult physically as you, you know, you're already painting, so there's already a physicality to, you know, your, um, I guess, your processing of the work, of, I mean, of the stories. But then you actually, you actually physically go to these places, like you touch the, the, the soil, you know, you eat the food. Oh, yeah. You, you smell the air. Like there's a whole other tangible kind of reality, right, that happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, and talk definitely. about, talk and about even, that first visit to, to Somaliland and and who you met and. Um, but oh before my you God! Do that, tell, us, tell us what you listened, to, what you were hearing at the club where you met Hakeem. Like, what was the music playing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a hip hop club in San Francisco. I think it was called New okay. Vibe. I'm sure it's closed by now. Um, <laughs> but I, the song, honestly, the song that I I remember or at least in my mind, I think I remember, is Usher <laughs> singing, <Really>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, my, so that night, it's, it's really, oh, man, I, I had at that point just given up on the idea of finding my family. So mm. I, you know, just before graduation, because I thought, you know, every every graduation, high school, you know, my undergrad, and and then up to grad school, like, well, okay, high school and undergrad anyway. I just remember thinking, I want all three sides of my family there. I'm so I'm so thankful um, that I have three wonderful families. My mom, we have a big wonderful family there. My dad, who raised me, Wayne, he, you know, big, wonderful family, supportive family there. And now that I know my biological, you know, father's family in that side or my family, um, it's, you know, wonderful as well. But that day, um, but basically, I remember I just graduated and I sent my last letter because I wrote Oprah trying to find my family and um, you know, didn't hear back and was just like, I mean, I just didn't know what to do and I didn't have money to like hire people and I wouldn't even know where to start looking, honestly. Um, but anyhow, so my sister and I, we were like, you know, ready to go out that night and, um, and we were just about to cross the bridge over into San Francisco and she realized she left her ID at home. So we had to cross the bridge, got back to Oakland you know, we're tired, not really feeling like going. And then we just decided, you know what, let's just go ahead and go. Like, what are we going to do to sit here at the house? So we, we went, by the time we got there, it cost, you know, it was, you know, we're from Oklahoma. We don't pay $20 to get into any club, (laughs) but I mean, nowadays, yeah, but back then it was like, nah. 
so we had to, you know, we just decided, let's just go ahead and, and pay it, even though we were still kind of iffy about going in. Went ahead, and um, this guy stopped my sister, and um, his friend was just standing there. And so whenever I would meet a person that looked Somali, then I would just, mm-hmm. like, start a conversation, tell them, tell them my whole family story just in case they knew something. So I just said, you know, hey, um, where are you from? And he said, East Africa. I was like, oh, okay, well, my father's from Somalia. And he was like, really? Well, I'm from Somalia. And then um, Mm -hmm. he said, um, he was like, I was like, oh, okay. And then he said, well, where's your father at now? And I said, he died before I was born. And then he was like, well, where are you from? And I said, Oklahoma. And he just said, I know your family. Just like that. And Mm -hmm. I, and, you know, I thought, yeah, right, because that's actually happened to me before where when it was a Somali classmate in college, he said that he knew someone in one of my family photos and he was going to link us up and it just never happened. So I was like, yeah, right. And he said, no, your father, he was there for school, right? And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and when he died, he was in his dorm room. And when he said that, like, you know, I realized, you know, it's like, who wouldn't know that information? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I just immediately started to cry. Um, And then I just said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, what was his name? And he stood there for a second, thought about it. And then he said, Saeed. And so Mm -hmm. at that point, we just both, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's, (laughs) but it happened. (laughs) Um, and so mm-hmm. we, we embraced, he, he told me, you know, we're just crying and he's just like, look, um, you have an aunt that lives in DC and I'm going to, um, put you in contact with her. We exchanged information and went our separate ways. And, um, mm-hmm. and true to his word, he put me in touch with my aunt, um, uh, Hibak, who lived in DC at the time. And, and it was just been open since then. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that is amazing. Wow, so you, you said you remember that Usher was singing. Um, do you remember the song? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think it was Yeah, Yeah. The song Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, wow, isn't that I mean, perfect? I cannot sing. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the song. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, was that I like, was, it was I mean, like, song. you know. At least it was playing that night. Um, I'm pretty right. sure that's the song. Oh, that's amazing because yeah. I'm just thinking about the affirmation. You know, you went there, right. you always ask the question, yes, you know, yeah, or yes. Um, you know, who cares oh, what the yeah. rest of it is, but that's important, right? That's what I'm hearing. Wow. And then that's guess what? I just went to see um, Shaft um, last night, and Usher is is playing the third generation, right? You got Richard Roundtree, oh, you got Samuel Jackson, and you have Usher. And wow. what you do, girl? Because you know what else? It's about father loss. Oh wow! He his father the last time well he doesn't remember because he was a baby, but um, he was not raised by his dad because mm-hmm. his mother felt it was too dangerous for him to be. Because uh, his father, you know, was a detective, you know, for the, um, I guess, New York Police um, Department or whatever, and um, um, and and you know, he he was involved in, you know, doing some serious work around around keeping our community safe and fighting, you know, for this. 
to happen. And, um, yeah, and so his wife said, you know, after one more shoot-up, shootout where the baby, you know, was in the car, it's like, no, we, we're going to, if you have to continue doing this, we're going to have to leave because he, you know, the child was in the car when they got riddled with oh bullets. I mean, it's amazing that wow. the little baby with two little teeth was smiling at his dad when he turned around and looked at him. So, yeah, and so fast forward, we meet, you know, uh, J.J., you know, John Schaff, Jr., (laughs) who who has just finished at MIT and is working for the FBI, and he needs his dad's help, so he goes and looks him up. It's crazy fun. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, And the last, what's it called, (laughs) the last black man in San Francisco, Oh, I have yeah. plans to go that watch that too. <laughs> I'm gonna. No, oh, I have yeah, plans. My cousin and I are gonna go. Okay. Yeah. 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 They have a. Do they have a? They have a free screening. I think they have a free screening today. I'll, I'll send you the information. Oh, please. I think do. There's a free, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a free screening. Actually, let me look it up while we talk. Um. So, um, making our way through your bio. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're still we're still doing that. Um. I uh, and then I also want you to um, talk about actually before we do that, um, talk about because I, I gave you two questions in one. So you told us about oh, yeah. Hakeem, and and wow, that is <clears throat> you know that was definitely destiny, right? I mean, I just oh, feel and you probably do too how you know that you have your dad's eyes, and when we meet him in the gallery, he has sunglasses on, so. In order to see his eyes, we have to look at you, and that's one aspect mm-hmm. of the art of the of the the portraits is that we notice your eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um, so I'm just wondering. So, tell us about um, you know going to Somaliland or meeting your aunt auntie in D.C. and and mm-hmm. where that went, and and what about when you first got home? Because you write about it in your memoirs. We're making our way through the gallery, and I noticed in some photographs, I saw some people I know uh, at the reception, um, I guess, uh, was it last week or the week before last? Uh, it was yeah, the first Friday. Yeah, actually. Yeah, so two weeks Isn't that ago. Crazy? Two weeks yeah. ago this Friday. Two weeks it ago crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's it's just your writing is so wonderful, and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy oh we're writing with the book, with all the art. I'm so looking forward to um to your book and, and, and let me make the announcement that you're looking for a publisher and give the information yes. on how to get in touch with you. <laughs> you are so awesome. Yeah, that's been that's um so I finished the first draft which took ten years. Ten years, um, with a couple of extended breaks just because for mental health because it was a lot to write. Um but um yeah, so now in the processes or beginning the process of looking for um a literary agent or a publisher or both. <laughs> I mean obviously both, but um definitely on the lookout for that and wanted to just put an open invitation for anyone I mean everyone who's listening and um and is interested in, in hearing more about you know, of course through by Abahai's eyes as well as new works by um, by Zoe Boston and Kalima as well. Um, just want to put that, you know, put it out there and just say, hey, please come out to the show, anyone, and publishing as well, um, that, you know, 
just is finds it interesting at all or just wants to learn more because I feel like seeing the artwork and seeing the writing along with it it'll say more than any email I can send or any query letter even that, you know, I'm going to, you know, of course I'm putting it out there in that way as well. And I'm putting in the work in that way, but I would love for, for anyone who might be even just a tiny bit um, curious to come and experience the work with the writing and, and we'll be there, you know, of course on Friday. Um, And the best way to get in touch with me is I'd say through email is, um, E-I-D, so that's for Ebony Iman Dallas. So E-I-D at EbonyImanDallas.com. And so that's E-B-O-N-Y-I-M-A-N-D-A-L-L-A-S.com. Um, so, yeah, if anyone, you know, wants to meet up to discuss or wants to come to the artist talk, I'll be there. Um, and I'll also be in the Bay for another couple of weeks. So, so, and the show will be up until the 30th. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. yeah, for your question on Somaliland and what that was like meeting my family, it was yes. more than I could have ever imagined. It was better than my, like I had so many fears, honestly, around it um, because I didn't, you know, I, there weren't any, some, hardly any Somalis lived in Oklahoma um, as I was growing up. And actually quite a few of my father's classmates left after he was killed because they were afraid. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I didn't grow up knowing Somali culture. All that I knew I had to look up myself. Um, and then, of course, there weren't people there <laughs> to reinforce it or whatever. So, um, so. I didn't know what they would think of me, like as this, you know, I'm an artist, um, you know, I have piercings, like, you know, I thought I have a tattoo, like I just thought, oh man, they might just think I'm this crazy, like, you know, crazy artist, American artist, whatever, whatever, whatever. I didn't know what they, how they would perceive me. I didn't know if they would be super um, conservative or like, I just didn't know. And so my first trip, I remember just just having all these worries about what it was going to be like. And, I mean, when I first saw my aunt, you know, at the airport, it was just, it just faded. So it just faded with every meeting, you know, meeting my grandmother, meeting my little cousins. And, I mean, that was never an issue <laughs> at all, like all these fears that I had built up. And so it was, I mean, it was like we had known each other forever um and so that first the very first trip meeting family was in New York where my aunt Hibak um my aunt uh, Hinda as well as my little I mean my cousin Udeg they we met up in New York and and just had had a wonderful time Um, my next trip after that was the following December so I went to London where I met my grandmother met some of my aunts and my cousins, tons of cousins and extended family. Um, And then after that, went to Kenya, where I met one of my aunts and I met, you know, and her family as well. Um, So a couple of my little cousins and her husband and my my uncle, Wordy, who 
um, would write my mom letters when I was a kid. So he used to, you know, write her letters. He would send her things. Like, and he was only a teenager at the time. So it's just mm-hmm. amazing that he was even that interested. But um, so I always felt a special connection to him because, you know, I always, I always had his letters. I always felt felt we were in touch in some way. Um, and so had the chance to meet him. And it wasn't until I guess about a year, a year and a half later that I went to um, to Somaliland for the first time. And that was, I mean, I'd always wanted to go to the land of my father. And so I, you know, once touched down, my uncle was literally standing outside of the airplane, which everyone thought, like, how did he get that close to the airplane? Because it just doesn't happen. It was... Um, it just doesn't happen, but somehow he made his way literally out onto where the plane landed and he was there to just snatch me up and help me get through all the customs and all that stuff. Um, and he took me to my grandmother's house and as soon as we pulled up, you know, they opened the gates, we pulled up, drove up. Um, one person came out, she ran back in and then the house, just uh, people flooded out of the house. Uh, my grandmother threw this huge uh, party for me, um, mm-hmm. and and so we danced and we ate and we just I mean it was just wonderful. It was just coming home and and I just learned so much. Like I learned since then, like they had been looking for me as well. In fact, one of my aunts wrote Oprah looking for me, and I was like writing mm-hmm. Oprah looking for her. So I mean, it's just we always. <laughs> wanted to know each other and now we just have that opportunity and it's a bless huge huge blessing yeah mm-hmm. wow yeah so have um any of your family um come here um like to oklahoma where you know that's like your base or um you know has have people been able to come you know go back and forth a little bit in this past um 15 years Yes, um, some. So my mm-hmm. my aunt Hinda, she's the one that I met. You know, one of the aunts that I first met in New York. Um, she worked at the time for CDC, so she would come to the United States. You know, at least once a year for a mm-hmm. conference. <clears throat> but um, one of the trips, she actually visited me. Visited me in Oakland um, when mm-hmm. I lived. You know, when I lived here in Oakland. So she came to visit my sister and I, and then some crazy. So my, my, my little sister, she moved to Southern California to go to UC Riverside um, mm-hmm. back in 08, I think the summer of 08, I believe. In that same summer, my aunt Muna and my little cousins moved from Kenya to um was at Claremont, which is only 30 minutes from Riverside, the same summer, just but totally unrelated, didn't know each other were moving. So then they got to have a great, you know, build a great relationship as well. Um, and then I would go down there and get to see them a lot. And now my little cousin, who was only six when I first met her in Nairobi, um, she's now a college student at um, UC Santa Cruz. So she, mm. she'll actually be at the artist talk. Um, she'll be at the artist talk. She came to the artist opening, I mean, to the show's mm-hmm. opening as well. So that's my little cousin, Maysoon. Um, so proud yeah. of her. She's growing up doing her thing. So yeah, yeah. Some of my family has been able to come and then, um, Maysoon's mom. So my aunt Muna and my little cousin, Mecca Hill, they came, 
because uh, this show it was um, it debuted in Oklahoma last year, and mm-hmm. so um, last year Maysoon's mom and her little brother were able to come to the um, artist talk there during the show. So they did they've had a chance. Um, at least a few of my family members on that side have had a chance to see the show as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're definitely looking at connected at, some... <laughs> mm-hmm. at this point. Right. Mhm. Uh, what do they think of your art? Since you, you know, you had a body of work, you know, with you, you know, in your person, but also, you know, tangibly, you know, in your, your, your art, your portfolio. Mhm. Um, my family is they're so very supportive. Like when I lived in Hergesa, because I did um, move there for I was there for about nine months, um, 2011 ish, 2011. Um, so it was not long after African Nation was founded. Uh, we because the African Nation was actually originally founded in Hergesa, as a mm-hmm. it was um, you know, um, but anyhow so. While I was there, <clears throat> we opened an art gallery. Um, we had, you know, lots of art shows, started art classes for kids, did an art supply donation drive. First one was here in the Bay um, some yeah, years ago. Yeah, I remember ago. that. You remember <laughs> the art supply drive? Yes, I sure so do. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we'd send the supplies over, and um, and then lots of professional artists as well as youth were able to utilize those supplies, and they're still – I mean, unfortunately, um, not a lot is imported or it's really expensive to import those kinds of items. And even for, you know, it's it's a challenge for everybody. Um, but but anyhow, my family's always been supportive of, of me as an artist, um, as well as, as, you know, as someone who's working in the field of the arts, you know, whether it's here or it's, uh, you know, in Hergesa. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So, Andy, could I ask you about um, some of the, uh, the 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 pieces that I that I saw um, at the gallery? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah okay. Sure. I was wondering if you could tell us about. Um, um, well, I'm over here, but I was going to ask you to go back the other way. But I I think you have a picture, or the anyway the the text talks about your grandmother, and um, I don't remember what the piece is called that. The text accompanies, but um, yeah, it's a really nice story, and and it's uh, showing sort of um, I think multiple generations in in the work. Do you know which one I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Oh, uh, I think I think. Are you talking about the one that uses the, the fabric as well? Oh yeah, London Cairo Hergesa, um, or London Hergesa Cairo. So the title yeah. um, it ref- it go- refers back to the three different places that I've seen my grandmother, or got to have oh. the chance to visit my grandmother. So the very first mm-hmm. um, first time I saw my grandmother was in London, the second time was in Hergesa, and the third time or the last time because I've seen my grandmother many times in between, but just in those same places. Um, and then I saw mm-hmm. her actually the last time was in Cairo, Egypt, um, and so that's that's what that piece is about and it actually utilizes some of the fabric from one of her dresses uh one mm-hmm. of her actual dresses so it's incorporated into the painting as well but that piece is inspired by a, a photograph my my cousin Udeg 
took while we were my we were just hang we were just chilling out um at my aunt's house in Cairo and my cousin just kind of saw she captured this moment between us which just says so much like we don't even need words you know um to say what we need to say and we don't always have to be doing something special like we can just sit there and it's fulfilling and so she captured this moment between us and when she showed me the pictures because I didn't even know she was taking them um I was just like yes that I I need to paint that um paint that moment because it just says so much like from the beginning of course uh, language so when I first met my grandmother in London I didn't know hardly I knew maybe a couple of words in Somali and so um, so I really, really wanted to learn Somali so that I could understand the stories that she would tell and and just be able to communicate with my grandmother and to get to know her. But, like, even that time in London when I knew very little Somali, we could communicate without words in ways that, I mean, I couldn't even explain. So my one of my little cousins um, who, um, who was around the bus, he was probably 13, and he was just like, how do you guys understand each other? Like, she just asked you to do something, and you, you're, like, doing it. Like, she's telling me, like, she would tell me in Somali to go to go get something out of the kitchen. I don't, I don't know. Somehow we understood each other, and I would come back with the right item, and he couldn't understand it. So, I mean, that was mainly, like, so that piece kind of captures that. Like, we don't have to always have the words to to understand and know each other. Um, and of course, since then, I've learned so much more Somali. I speak what I call broken Somali because I know it's not perfect, but it, you know, it gets me, gets me around and and everything. But um, but so we can understand each other even verbally now, even more. But mm-hmm. but even before that, we just kind of, it just I don't know, just had this interesting way of of um, of communicating. So that piece, that's what yeah. that piece kind of captures. Nice, nice. How how did your grandmother, how is, you know, she's traveling, she's traveling to visit family. Uh, what takes her to these different locations that you visited her, um, you know, three different uh, locations? Well, um, you know, Somali... She, Somali people are nomadic and just generally speaking, I mean, traditionally as well, um, it's known as nomads. So it's, you know, it's not odd for, for, for her to go and stay with family for even long periods of times in different places. Um, but she's been in Cairo for probably a couple of, at least two years now, um, with one of my aunts. And I'll be going back to her Gesa. So she has her own house and everything in her Gesa. So, um, you know, hopefully she'll be going back there soon. But mostly to, to see family, to be with family uh, mm-hmm. and and things like that, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so family is definitely we... very important <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to really all three of my sides. Like family, the importance of family has just been <laughs> ingrained in me and it just comes from all those all those sides Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I was just thinking um you know that you know you um you know your 
you grew up in Oklahoma City, and we think about Black Wall Street and all of that history there, the wealth, the educated um, citizenry, you know, of African descent, and then um, and then Somaliland, and you know, and you're in Hargeisa, and your relatives there, as well as you know, throughout the diaspora, um, you know, Black people, African people are are all over, um, you know, the planet, and and in particular, your 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 particular story is just representative of that. And I was wondering, um, what is it, you know, what's it like in Somaliland? Um, like, what, how is it for for the people there? Um, are your family, like you mentioned earlier, that your father came to um, Oklahoma City to go to university? And so I was just wondering, and then you, your aunt, you mentioned that she works for, CDC, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just wondering. I mean, I don't know if she's a physician or what, but I was just wondering, sort of, um, what. And then I don't know, like your mother and your stepfather. Just wondering, your sister um, is in university here. Um, is that your sister? No, no. Your niece? No. Or your cousin? Oh, my little cousin. You know, the one who's at. Yeah. Your cousin, right? <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering, sort of, you could just sort of maybe give us a little more context for for your family, and and then I want you to talk about Colonel of Eternity. <laughs> okay. Um, well, on my let's see, on my so on my biological father's side, his father was a businessman and a politician. So he used to be the, um, he was the minister of finance for Somalia before the war. Mm. And um, so he actually had a chance to visit the United States as a part of a delegation back in the, you know, back when JFK was in office and he saw how black people were treated here. And he told my father not to come because he was just like, look, you are stubborn, you're headstrong. He was like, they'll kill you, and they'll kill you quick, Mm. and don't go. My father went because, as my grandfather said, he's headstrong and stubborn. So he went anyway, which I feel a lot of that, I probably possess some of that (laughs) trait. But anyhow, um, so, so, you know, that was their perception of America, which, you know, unfortunately was um was pretty accurate and on my mother's side <clears throat> my so on my mother's side we have an interesting history it's sad i mean you know it's you know the way that we came to oklahoma was oklahoma was a part of the great migration that doesn't get discussed very much um, so my family fled from Kentucky because some of my, it was my, um, so it was my great grandfather. So my great, great grandfather, um, him and his wife, so my grandmother, they decided to take their children and leave Kentucky because there were threats, um, threats of lynching. And there were direct threats that they wanted to lynch, um, a couple of my, you know, I guess they were my great uncle, great, great uncles, um, And so they fled Kentucky and came to Oklahoma because at the time it wasn't a state and it was a place a lot of black people and natives saw as um, a place of refuge. And so they came here and started their family. 
Um, and so I have a lot of family in, in Guthrie, Oklahoma, a lot of family in Tulsa, um, on my mother's side. And, and so, you know, so it's just kind of interesting how, how we migrate and why we migrate. And so for my father, he was, um, he was a student in India at the time. So he was, you know, going to the University of Pune in India at the time. And he wanted to come to the U.S. One of his, um, some of his friends were going to school in Oklahoma. And so he was just like, hey, I want to, I want to go join them. And so he just left. He just, without my grandfather's blessing, he just left. Um, And then, you know, of course, some years later, he, you know, just as unfortunately my grandfather predicted, he died in the way that he predicted. Hmm. Wow, really? Yeah, so, I mean, Oklahoma has a crazy, I mean, Oklahoma is an interesting history, an interesting black history that just doesn't get discussed. Mm -hmm. They had some of the most, um, they had most of the, I'm sorry, they had the most black townships as from any other state in the United States. And it's just amazing how the numbers of black people just can, you know, people fleet, people are still, you know, it was a place of refuge once and over the years it hasn't been, it hasn't been that way. And so people move to the Bay or move other places where um, they feel they can get the, the necessary things they need to succeed jobs and and just feeling more free which is something I felt when I moved here actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. wow yeah 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 I was just looking at at your um you know these these um uh these portraits because um, they all you know the the human figure kind of is real central and 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 you're close enough like you really it's almost like you um you know how when you're um editing a photo <laughs> and mm-hmm. and um uh you can um you can crop it so that you can see more closely the the central um work in 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 the particular um photograph or work of art and it seems like you cropped these pieces so that we can like focus on what you want us to focus on like like for instance mm-hmm. um you know kernel of eternity looks like the earth is behind um you know the father with the baby and that's your father and you I presume um mm-hmm. you know the child is sleeping on her father's shoulder and and the blues and and it looks like the earth from outer space and you know the the head of the the father you know his afro is right at the top of the line and then it's cropped so that the baby's you know, little slipper is is sort of hitting the bottom along with the father's um, um, uh, forearm. You know, like we don't see his mm-hmm. hand, and then the earth is right behind. Like there's only a little bit of blue, which was really resonates really well, echoing sort of reflecting the blue in the father's shirt and the blue in the baby's uh, top. And um, and in this particular one, because of the the artist statement, when we walk in uh, and we see your father with the sunglasses, 
these glasses, we can see his eyes. Well, we can't see the baby's eyes because the baby is sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that's, that's really, <laughs> yeah, it's really, really cool. And I, wow. and I just wonder if you could talk a little about this and how, how do you do this? Because it's mixed media, which means you've manipulated things, like you've got the painted image, you've got layers. How, how did you do that in contrast to uh, redefining time, you know, the one with you and your grandmother, when you say you use the fabric that you all mm-hmm. had, so it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you do this? Because, yeah, it it doesn't look like a painting. <laughs> oh. oh wow, yeah. Um, I think so. With that one, it was a it was very different in that that's a scene that never existed. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course, my father, he passed when my mother was pregnant, so I never met him physically. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So that painting is um, just in a, me imagining what I, you know, yes, I'm so grateful for my father, Wayne, who raised me like his own, and that was a blessing and all of that. Um, but I still wonder just like what what could it have been like with, with um with my biological father and so I wondered if he would be protective if he would be um you know what kind of you know father would he have been and so that painting imagines what I wished it would have could have been like and so in the scene I'm asleep resting my head on his shoulder and um and you know of course being asleep that shows a huge level of comfort um it shows security feeling protected and um and so in that image i i had to search through photographs so i haven't seen many photographs of my father every time i've come across a picture like i've literally found pictures in different countries so one of my aunts had a a shot of him a picture of him in london and you know it was an image when he was nine years old and there was a clear shot of his face, but he was only nine years old in that picture. Mm-hmm. Um, the picture that I grew up seeing um, that you mentioned, he had dark sunglasses on. And so I couldn't really see what his face looked like. I couldn't see his eyes, couldn't see hardly even his nose. Um, so I just had to sort of imagine that. Um, and then years later in Kenya, I met one of my dad's old classmates in India you know, that went to school with him in India, and he had a picture of him and a bunch of them all together. And so, but still, the picture, his eyes were hidden behind dark glasses. And so it wasn't until 2008 um, I met one of my dad's friends and told me, "Go." he told me, you know, go to Langston University. There's a picture of him in the yearbook. And Langston University is... Um, it's a historically black college in Oklahoma. It's the only one in Oklahoma. And so, mm-hmm. anyway, and that's the first school that my father went to. And so I went there, found the clearest picture I've ever seen of him. And so mm-hmm. I used all of those pictures, um, went in Photoshop, scanned them, um, and created that image. So I took the face of you know, that clearest shot that I saw of him. I took the body from him in India. I took his <laughs> smile from another picture. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, because people tell me, you know, he had this gap. And, like, growing up before mm-hmm. I had braces, I had this huge gap 
in between my teeth. Oh, so I even had a gap yeah, at the some African, point. Yes. I had oh, the yeah, gap. The African <laughs> beauty mark, now. right? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had it, but I didn't think it was. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of things that, like things like that, like that's something that went from a source of where I used to hate to smile. Um, now it's a source of pride. It's like, and my mom had a gap too. Or has a gap, oh, wow. but but my dad's mm-hmm. and mine were both really big, um, and so so there's that, and then my eyebrow, like the way it kind of curls up, you know. I remember mm-hmm. just like trying to like doing my eyebrows, and I'm in the mirror, trying to figure out why this one of one side I never had an issue with, like with shaping it, and then the other side, you know, I was just like, what is up with this eyebrow? And so it wasn't until I met my met my aunts and my cousins that I saw, okay, it's a hereditary trait. And I think my dad had it and, you know, my grandfather had it. And so now it's like went from that to being a source of pride. And it's like, no, it's just genetics. (laughs) (laughs) So just learning to be proud of all the things that make you or make, make me who I am. So, so that painting just kind of sums all that up. Um, and so I, you know, put it together in Photoshop, tried to make it look as natural as possible and then Mm -hmm. projected it onto the canvas and, you know, drew it out. And to this day, it's the one image that I've painted or drawn of my father where people say, okay, that's him. Like that looks like him. The other ones I was just trying to figure out what he looked like. And so I would you know, people would tell me all the time, oh, you have his eyes, you have his nose. Um, And so I would, you know, take the basic image that I had of him, draw that, and then put my eyes and my nose in place, hoping that that's maybe Mm -hmm. what his face actually looked like. But, you know, it wasn't it. Like people, you know, they were like, oh, you know, it resembles him. But but this last painting was um, that's on display, and the other ones are on display mm-hmm. as well, some of them. Um, so that mm-hmm. kind of shows that process. But that's the one where people are like, okay, that is him. And so, um, yeah, and then I have the portraits of my mom and my dad beside, you know, so it's all, it's like a triptych. So there's a portrait of my mother um, facing the direction of the painting of my father and I, biological father and I, and then there's a picture of um, my father who raised me as well, um, you know, that's uh, just on the opposite side. And so it's like they're all facing in, but, you know, just just always wanting all my sides to know, like, you're all a part of me and making me who I am, and I'm always going to be proud of that. And so... Um, so that's what those what that piece is about. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really, really beautiful work, and um, really encourage our audience to, um, you know, to come to the artist talk because then they can ask questions as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I and I think you have some really wonderful messages, you know, for for women, and this is. Uh, the Year of the Woman at George Gordon Gallery, um, all this year, every month, is featuring women artists. And so you are June 219 uh, featured artists along with the other two wonderful artists um, that are also a part of the show that are going to be at the Artist Talk this Friday, June 21st, from 7 to 9. Uh, and again, the gallery opens about 10 o'clock, so you can go early and have a chance to walk through before the gallery becomes really full. Those these artist talks 
are very, very well attended. And if you have any um, insight around publishing, you definitely need to come through and talk to Ebony. <laughs> please, yeah, please but, do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but please I was just thinking, do. you know, about some of your beautiful pieces, um, Courage and Flight, uh, Women in War Zones um, uh, series, really beautiful words um, on her body. And and um, and I don't know if um, if you thought about that that work, which is actually for sale because you have some um, some work that people can actually take home with them. There's um, M K uh, um, M M G um, uh, Stout, um, the artist, an artist who was featured last month, along with um, uh, Pan Pamela. Um, Santos uh, out of Brazil, MG lives here in San Francisco. She has a silhouette of her body in the back gallery by George Gordon uh, Mural that Pamela painted. And uh, in the uh, silhouette, you can write things uh, because the exhibit was looking at saying no to domestic violence. And so I was wondering if you thought about that uh, in, in view of your Courage and Flight Women in War Zone series because I think about, you know, Domestic violence and other other situations where uh, where a person, particularly a woman, is not safe as a war, right? As a as a war zone, and sometimes people get trapped um, and can't can't get out. And so this this particular image, you know, looks like she's a butterfly. <laughs> the mm-hmm. words are mm-hmm. you know in the body, and then and then you got all these beautiful colors sort of radiating out like like wings. Um, behind mm-hmm. the the woman, so she can like, yeah, you can go. You you give her the language in the in the poem, and then uh, or the narrative, and then you know she can actually, you know, sort of levitate and and find her way out of that that space where there is conflict. Definitely, and remembering, you know, remembering the things that truly make you who you are is something that I definitely try to get a point in that not only in that series but um like you know definitely in that series um but in <clears throat> all the paintings that I've done where people have wings because in those in those paintings it just talks about you know yes we may have experienced something traumatic um or tragic so whether it's domestic violence um and and then the women in war zone series that dealt with domestic violence it dealt <clears throat> It dealt with um hold on one second. <clears throat> dealt with um sexual abuse. It dealt with, you know, the war and this going on in Somalia, war in Syria and just women's places in those situations. And so it was, you know, it was just basically to say, you know, bad things hap- bad things may happen to us, but it doesn't have to define who we are so yes it's going to shape you but we can heal from it but you have to first believe that you can heal from it to begin the process Mm -hmm. and so um for me like I I started out like I would paint people who inspired me so that whole series was about strong women you know about women who have you know had to face different obstacles and major huge challenges but who fought back and sometimes like I feel like our greatest revenge is healing so it's like something Mm -hmm. absolutely horrible can happen but it doesn't have to continue to 
make our path go in a negative direction, which it totally can. It totally can make you spiral. But I feel like going through the process and choosing, okay, I'm not going to allow this to continue to define me. And, you know, a person can do one thing to you one day that can affect you for the rest of your life. Healing is, a, you know, a person can go to jail. You can send that person to jail. But it's like healing is, I feel, even beyond um, even that jail sentence. You can send someone to jail or whatever, but, like, for you to actually heal says, okay, I'm going to go, I'm choosing to go into a positive direction, even though this situation could totally um, take me in another way. I'm going to make it, I'm going to take whatever this thing is that happened to me and try to remember that, you know, there are other things about myself, you know, there's, this doesn't define me, who I truly am does. And so that's what the butterfly wings are about. It's like reminding you of who you are or trying to remember who you are, um, the things that you enjoy, um, you know, so it's about that self-care and healing process. But I believe healing starts from the moment you believe that it's possible and you decide to pursue it. Um, and it's not easy, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's not easy, but, but I believe it can be done. So, so that's what, what mm-hmm. that series was mainly about was highlighting those women's stories. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You've got 13 Queens, which is really beautiful. And, uh, I define me. I really like this little, 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 little queen, you know, um, yeah, uh, in the center me. of a newspaper. Yeah, oh, that's a little you. Mhm. That's no, that's my little niece. Oh. Um, my little niece. Oh, McKenna. your little niece. Oh. Yeah, okay. she, she. Oh my goodness! So one day she told me that she liked Miley Cyrus, and that was oh my god. Around the time Miley Cyrus was popping pills and videos and just being ridiculous. Period. And so. I was just like, oh, no, 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 you need other role models. And so I did that painting to just kind of show her, hey, you are, you don't need those things and those messages to define you. So it's surround, like she's surrounded in that painting by newspaper articles of issues, you know, that talk, discuss issues. Well, it has, um, let's see, it mainly focuses on issues around um, that affect children, so a lack of funding and education. Um, there's some articles about police brutality um, and women being paid less than men. So it just, you know, kind of is she's like surrounded by all of that. And but in that she's standing in a stance like she looks like a little superhero with her hand on her hip and just looks very confident. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looks very confident mm-hmm. and. And what's funny is the the morning I asked her, I was like, hey, will you model for this painting? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay, just go pick out an outfit. And she picked up this shirt with Batman. Like, it was like a little pink Batman shirt. And I was like, wear that. And so I painted it. I just painted her wearing the shirt. And it was just, I don't know, it just kind of came together. But she looks like a little superhero. She is a little superhero. Tall yeah, superhero. Really, yeah. but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I'm so so happy that you know some of this work is available, and you have different sizes and different prices. So you know, one one thing is that people should think about you know collecting black art, collecting art, you know, of people of African descent. Um, uh, not just because you know it's it's a great 
way to invest resources, but it's also beauty. You know, you have this art, this work in your home as you can look at and reflect on, and every time you look at it, it's a different, it gets, you know, a different kind of thoughts maybe come to mind, or maybe it just becomes a place where you just have some really happy memories because of the work and what it inspires. So, you know, um, I noticed that some of your work is already sold. <laughs> I saw some red mm-hmm. dots. So it's like, Thankfully. oh, wow, Thankful. that was quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, after, you know, opening night. So, like, so that's another thing. If you, you know, you go to the opening of shows and you get first dips, um, now, you know, at the artist talk, you have to take what's left. <laughs> but uh, but there is a whole lot left. Uh, and then they have, you yeah, know, the prints from your other series. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful extended conversation. Um, yeah, you've given us a whole lot of your time this morning. Really, really appreciated that you had time to just stay on and just, you know, chop it up as we say, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you for doing what you're doing and amplifying stories like this as well as um so many others that are important to our community. So um, so thank you for all the work that you've done and continue to do. Because um, like you said, we first met back in, I think, two, probably 2008 maybe? It's been a while. Yes, it's been a while. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, you told me about this, this journey, you know, and, um, you know, that you were embarking on, you know, to, to find your people, you know, yeah. find your dad's people, and uh, wow, and 15 years, like, whoa, wow. It flies by, right? That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yep. well, it's good it that you, know, you have work, work to illustrate the journey, right? Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, like, where, what did I do? But because you have a body of work, you say, well, this is what I did, and this is what I thought, and, you know, so that's yeah. nice. So, yeah, wow, wow. So you're here for... um to the end of the month, and um, mm-hmm. and then you're going back home, or you're going overseas. Uh, what were you doing next? Um, next, I'll I'll go back to Oklahoma. Um, I'm hoping mm-hmm. to get back to her Hergesa <clears throat> sometime in the next few months to see my grandmother. But mm-hmm. um, so I just that's kind of you know just kind of waiting to see. But um, but yeah, so I'll be. Yeah, here for another two weeks. So basically, as long as the artwork is on the walls, that means I'm still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll be here through the end of the month. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll be here through and the end the, of the um, month. Right. Yeah. And the other artists who are exhibiting with you, could you give us their names again, please? Yes, Kalima Amilak and Zoe Boston, and they have a series they worked on together called New Works. And so, you know, like you were saying, it's, I mean, beautiful work. Um, I saw Zoe, she had this painting, which is on the flyer for their show. So the shows are, they're separate, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, they still flow together, like you were saying. Um, mm-hmm. But Zoe had this beautiful, very close-up image of a woman's face in black and white. And then it was around her world, just these beautiful colors that almost looked like, a scene like an ocean scene so you had the corals and the turquoise and just all these beautiful colors to contrast that black and white and um and you know in the work of uh Camila as well she did a series of photographs of women um of, of black women who I 
you know, I'm I'm really really excited to be on the panel with them and just to talk about talk about our work because it seems like I mean not seems like but it you know I know Joyce you know when she decides who to put in at the same time you know she has a lot of um, a lot of insight into ways that things tie together so I look forward to just us all sitting down and just discussing our work and um, and hearing from the audience as well like that'll be I'm excited to to just have a discussion mm-hmm. yeah yeah because the work is in conversation um, you know with um, it's you know the other work so it's really great to be able to mm-hmm. um, to have um, you know the creators you know in the room to talk about what their intention was because a lot of times you know your intention is what it is but um, you're not quite certain I I think sometimes you know, sort of what the audience will will take from it's probably sometimes um, you're surprised, um, pleasantly surprised, I'm sure, mm-hmm. with um, with you know, sort of what the audience shares, and and I'm sure that you know, and vice versa, you know, um, the experience is deepened for both you as the creator and 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 the audience, you know, for your creation. And does it does it change any like regionally, like for instance? When people like the read of your work, when you're um, uh, you're traveling, like does it change? Like when it opened, the show opened in Oklahoma, and the show opening here, were there some similarities and differences that you noticed in the response? Yeah, some of the yeah the simil- I would say the stories that people share after experiencing the show, um, the way that people relate to the work. I've heard just, I mean, like heartbreaking stories, but just ways that people, I mean, everyone comes there with their own experiences and they'll read into it, um, you know, things that maybe I hadn't had in mind, but it's personal to them. So um, a woman, actually two women came up to me from this last opening and said, um, from the current opening, and said that they were both they were adopted. I mean, totally separately, they came up to me and said, mm. you know, they were adopted and had searched for their families, and um, and their experience of finding their family, and just some of the the just almost miraculous moments or the ways that people find each other um, has been really interesting. And then someone else has come up and said you know, that she was, you know, sexually abused by by her father and just kind of talking about finding out that that wasn't her father after so many years. I mean, there's just been so many different ways that people, um, you know, feel a closeness or feel a certain kinship uh, with the experience that I've had. And, and so, and I've felt that and heard those kinds of stories in Oklahoma. I've heard them here. Um you know, and you know, this is this is not my intention, but I mean, I've heard people say that they cried when you know reading and you know sometimes reading the the excerpts and then seeing the pieces. And by no means is that my intention, but at the same time, I do want people to feel what I was feeling um, when at the time that I was going through it. And so. Um, you know, everyone has their takeaways, but that's some of the common things that I've I've heard and saw is how people's personal mm-hmm. stories have related to it. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this is really going to be my last question. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Sort of, sort of. What what inspires you? Um, do these stories of um, uh, of, of of people that um, are able to um, to share their experience of your work does that inspire you? Um, because it seems like you know this big journey, um, you know, finding your father. That seems mm-hmm. like okay. Well, what's going to top that, right? I mean, like, what else? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was just sort of wondering, um, kind of what inspires you, and um, and and I I would think I would ask what's next. I mean, like, what's on your easel? What's in your studio right now? What are you working on? <laughs> oh man, well, I mean, what inspires me are stories of resilience. So it's, you know, whether <clears throat> it's the Women in War Zone series or it's um, an image that I painted right after coming back to the U.S. I think I had just come back after that nine months of being abroad. I came back and found out about Trayvon Martin being killed. And so mm. I did a piece about that um, and and just just the heartbreaking tragedy of that. I, I, I had my little nephew. Um, he was, I think he was about 10 years old at the time. I had him model for me in this green hoodie that I bought him for his birthday. And I remember like after I bought him the hoodie, he would wear it every single day. So when I came back and I hear about what's happening, um, I hear about what happened to Trayvon Martin I was just like that could be anybody. Like that could it could be my little sweet nephew that you know he just loves wearing his hoodie. He's not a threat to anybody. Um, and just how heartbreaking that is to think that my sweet little nephew could be gunned down just because of some overzealous vigilante, you know, whatever else you want to call him, like. <clears throat> decides that his life is is um you know not really worth much um and so I painted a portrait of my little nephew <clears throat> wearing the hoodie and he's you know he looks like he's so he's peering up so it looks like he's looking at someone that's a lot bigger than him and he has his hands up in that piece um so just different there's different stories but what I'm noticing the thread is is um it's around social and political issues um <clears throat> excuse me um that you know those are the stories that inspire me, but also sharing tales of resilience to show people like hey we can we can we can win like we can we can fight back, we can heal um so I like sharing stories like that because they inspire me to heal. <laughs> And so I want to mm-hmm. share those stories with others. So hopefully they'll, you know, um, inspire them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so has has um, has has your soul found peace? That's a great question. <clears throat> um, in some ways, yes, but there's still a lot of work to do. You know, just, um, yeah, that's that's a great question. I think in some ways of accepting things about myself that I hadn't quite accepted before um, and just loving myself 
completely just the way that I am. I feel like I've healed a lot. Like I had, you know, growing up thinking my father committed suicide. I just questioned my own worth in ways that I shouldn't have. And so like this whole process of writing and of, um, of painting about the situation has helped me to, and going to counseling in the process, like just figuring Mm -hmm. out, you know, why I have done certain things the way that I've done them in life and um, in what ways this situation and others have affected me in just my everyday life. Um, It's, you know, it's definitely been a process, but so I think I've healed a whole, I've come so far um, and that's that that final painting that I did so the painting that's on the flyer reflects that growth um, it shows mm-hmm. a lot of things like it shows the um, you know I have all my piercings that I thought my family might think were weird I have my eyebrow all curled up that used to get on my nerves and I have my my little freckles on my face that I inherited from my mom and you know, my nails are off-colored, so I have um, one red nail out of all of those. You know, I had, well, the turquoise or teal color, and 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 then there's one red nail, and that just shows the beauty and imperfection and just accepting all the things, whether you, you know, think that they're beautiful or whatever, or not just accepting Um, all the things that make you who you are. And that's what I've been painting for years, and I never really saw how it tied back to myself and my own personal story. But um, when I was working on Women in War Zones, one of the women that I painted, she suffered from breast cancer for for many years, and she overcame. And um, and she, she actually modeled her scar, so she had a mastectomy, and um and modeled her scar and she just looked so confident and and just so powerful i really wanted to paint her so i talked to her and the photographer gay paisley and you know did that painting but anyhow so lori um i was being interviewed about about that about that body of work and my personal story never came up because it had never come up publicly anyway but then the gallery owner, my friend Lisa, um, she said, well, Ebony, tell them, like, you know, sort of some of your ties. And so that's when my story came out. And then that's when Lori read it. She was just like, Ebony, you and your mom should be on those walls. Like, all the stuff that you've gone through, like with your father being killed and all that, like, you should be one of these paintings. Mm-hmm. And I never saw myself mm-hmm. in that way. Like, I didn't see myself as brave. I didn't see myself as is powerful the way that I saw the women that I painted. And so um, so this body of work now through Abahai's eyes, is, it shows a level of growth, um, a huge level of growth, and especially that final painting just kind of wraps it up. So in that way, yes, I found peace within myself in that way. I haven't found peace with what happened to my father, and I'm still trying to learn more about that. Um, so... I hope that answers yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 it does. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much, you know, for this really marvelous visit um, on the air and looking forward to seeing you uh, in person, you know, later today. Yes, and, and I was mistaken. The free, 
the free screening for the last black man was Monday. So. Oh, yeah. okay. That's all right. I'll pay for it. <laughs> the com- I'll pay the, for it. They deserve the, the money. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But that's really nice that they made it available. That's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my yeah. I definitely plan on going to see that before I leave town. For mm-hmm. sure. Right, and and you and you would also really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you would also um, uh, want to make sure. I don't know. You probably already seen the exhibit. Um, uh, what is it? Coffee, rum, um, sugar, and gold. Uh, post-colonial um, uh, discussion at the Museum of oh, the wow. African Diaspora. All of the all of the artists. I think there are ten. They're all Caribbean artists. Either they're still based there or or they're from there. And and the work is just so beautiful. Um, one artist, um, she actually um, uh, makes sculptures from sugar, and um, wow. she was on my radio show um, last week. Yeah, she is marvelous, and she's gonna kill me, but I don't have my uh, my notes in front of me. <laughs> oh, but okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, when it's just it? really marvelous. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Museum of the African Diaspora, which is located at uh, Mission and Third okay. um, nice. in San Francisco, yeah, it's um, it's called Moad. Um, oh yeah, uh, Moad yeah I know Moad. Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, right. Are they you said show. they were going to have a discussion, or are they going to have an? Um, no. An well, I'm trying to think. They're, they're ha- they have had a discussion. Um, they're getting ready to have a film oh, series, okay. but I think I think you might be gone. Um, films from the Caribbean. But um, wow! And then awesome. and there's also like when you walk in, uh, American um, artist he has curated um, dignity images, and so these are um, he he worked with some young people at Baycat in Bayview, Hunters Point, um, mm-hmm. and uh, people take images and some of them they don't share, um, and he calls those dignity images. And so what he did was ask people, you know, to create a dignity image or to think about what the dignity image is for them. And and so this um Aww. particular exhibit sort of explores that. And and then there's um uh Rodney Ewing, um wow his exhibit is closing this weekend. Um it's uh it's uh he's an emerging artist it's called Longitude and Latitude and he always sort of looks at people in place and how place informs uh a person's history and culture and and actually the naming of 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 the experience or actually i guess maybe validating an experience like if you have no place in do you exist and so um so he you know looks at you know um different kinds of artifacts and how they make um place have meaning and so his exhibit is only up through the weekend it's like oh man didn't get a chance to talk oh, to him wow. he is like phenomenal but um but i was uh in the in the uh the website trying to get the names of these uh artists and for you um the one in particular who paints with sugar um and uh let's see oh here it oh, is that sounds like, I wanted to tell you like her name a, oh you got it okay yeah yeah i think you will really like it um just because you know you're an artist but also because it's just so such a fine work and and the brothers who um uh who who um curated the exhibit one is a new curator to uh, moad but the um the others are the other um curator is um 
is someone who's curated for Moab before. And uh, this, okay. doggone it. Yeah, this exhibit is, like, so busy. Um, <laughs> I can't find, just find the exhibit. So people are going to have to go to the website, um, moadsf.org, and check it out a little more slowly because I need to let Ebony go because, I mean, like, had her held hostage. <laughs> oh, no, um, it know, wasn't hostage at all. I've enjoyed the time. <laughs> okay, it's voluntary. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's totally voluntary. <laughs> Okay. Um, but Super thank you, so thank you so much um, for having me and to just taking the time to to go and see the show. And I love hearing your feedback. It's it's very insightful. Sometimes when you paint, you know, I mean, like when I paint, I'm just I'm in a room mostly by myself, um, mm-hmm. and it's very isolating. And sometimes I I do things that it's just in, it's intuitive, and so it's nice to hear how people perceive it because a lot of times, you know, what you're seeing and how you're explaining it, you know, it, it, it resonates in ways that I would may not have been thinking about when I was in the process of creating, but sometimes you make sub subconscious decisions while you're painting. And of course they have mm-hmm. a place that they come from. So hearing someone say that and where they pulled that from, it's like, okay, yeah, that is, that's true. I just didn't, you know, some of the stuff is a conscious thought and some is subconscious. So, so thanks for sharing your your thoughts and perceptions about the work. I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. Oh, and I, and I finally found the artist. Her name is Andrea, uh, or I think it's Andrea or Andrea uh, Chung. Um, She lives in Southern California now, but she's, um, she grew up in Texas and, um, is she Jamaican? Um, let me not let me not try to remember that part. Um, Trinidad, uh, Trinidad Tobago. I'm not sure. I know they're all from from um, oh, nice. from the Caribbean, but yeah. But I just had her on the air last week, and she's phenomenal. And uh, and I also interviewed uh, Lavar uh, Monroe, who um, he just moved back home um, from living in. Um, I was he in New York. Um, he was here, but now he's back home. So, um, yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting, you know, sort of being a part of a diaspora, right? And 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 having a home to go to, like, right? Like you, you know, you got you got multiple homes to choose from. Isn't that cool? It is a blessing. <laughs> yeah, you got you got options. Like, oh, I don't like it here anymore. You got places you can go. Like, I think I'll go live in Somaliland. Oh, I think I'll go to Egypt with my grandma. I think I'll go to well, London. To, oh no. <laughs> well, I mean, I told actually just the other day I told a friend I feel like I have three homes. I have Oklahoma, I have Somaliland, and I have Oakland because in a, I grew so much here, you know. <laughs> So, like, as far right. as my heart yeah. goes, I'm like, I've got, like, three solid places that my heart is in. And so. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about the Oakland part. Yeah, Oakland, yeah, definitely uh, formative for you as as a woman and as an artist and as a citizen. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. coming back here is a reunion. Like, I've seen so many, you know, I have so, you know, good friends that I've, I've uh, had over the years and my family I have quite mm-hmm. a bit of family in the bay as well so it's been you know the opening night was like a reunion it was wonderful <laughs> mm-hmm. right was wonderful. yeah yeah 
Awesome. Cool. Well, you have a good um, rest of the morning, what's left of it, and uh, <laughs> and look forward to seeing you this evening. And let me just uh, tell you one more thing that's happening um, at the uh, Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive. This is really wonderful exhibit there presently. It's called About Things Loved, Blackness and Belonging, and it's up through July mm. 21st. And so today... Um, there's a screening and a discussion called Welcome to the Neighborhood. It's a Juneteenth screening, and it's um, uh, Mildred Howard uh, is going to be in discussion. Um, uh, she has work in About Things Loved, Black Said Belonging. Uh, she's going to be in uh, discussion with uh, uh, Lee Rayford, who is a, um, a UC Berkeley Associate Professor of African American Studies, and Lawrence uh, Rinder. Um, BAM PFA director and chief curator, and the movie, the 30-minute film um, by uh, director Pam Uzo, explores Mil- Mildred Howard's long family roots in the Bay Area and the Im- impact mm-hmm. of gentrification on local residents. Her mother, Mabel Howard, moved to San Francisco during World War II and became a part of the growing community of African Americans in South Berkeley, where she spearheaded many significant political and community projects. And today. Mildred Howard, who is famous, she can't afford to live in this community anymore. Uh, wow! You know, because she's been priced out. And in her her piece in this wonderful exhibit that was curated by Lee uh, Rayford's students and another another um, her, her a co uh, another another professor, um, she has her house that's made out of knives and. Um, and um and pots and and the house sort of speaks to um being trapped in in domestic violence and it's a, mm. it's you can it's like you don't walk in it but you could cuz it's big it's big and mm. and there are knives in the walls it's it's amazing oh my god it's wow it's absolutely amazing so you don't want to miss this exhibit either it'll be up you know so you got a few things moad and this one there might be some other stuff, um, other other exhibits. I'm sure oh, there are. Oh, it's so much. But these, it's wonderful. But, but these two, you will really like. You don't want to miss these because, um, I'm sure they'll resonate with you as as a woman, uh, as an African artist, um, and uh, yeah, just and you know, and a person whose work sort of is in this conversation. You know, you do work like this. Your work speaks oh, to people that. like this. Work speaks to folks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So anyway, so I just wanted to let you know about that. <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And that's what I love about coming to the Bay because, man, there's been so many amazing things going on since I've been here. And mm. just trying to do as much as I can while I'm here. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so thanks for sharing those. Oh, you're quite welcome. All righty. So I'm going to end with a pre-recorded uh, interview with um, uh uh, oh yeah, Fumi me, Fumi K uh, Ogunlano. She is the woman who played Mona in um, uh, in Sankofa, uh, the film directed by Holly Jarima. So we're gonna go out with this interview that I did. Um, gosh, in 2012, April 2012, when she was in town uh, for the 25th, I think, anniversary of the film or something like that. Um, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> okay. well, have a beautiful you day. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Oh, you're quite welcome. Look forward to seeing you this evening and definitely on Friday at your talk. I'm really looking forward to it.
Perfect. I'm looking forward to it as well. I'll see you. See you in a few hours. <laughs> All right. Peace and blessings. Okay. Thank you. All right. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> so I had this really wonderful interview with um, Oyafumi K. She was staying with Ia Nedra, and, um, and uh, yeah, it was just a really wonderful conversation. We were just, I think, um, I'm trying to remember, did I get the reading before or after? But we were just talking, and uh, so I'm just going to just play this. I haven't listened to it for a long time, and but it was really enlightening. She was talking about the making of the film, and she was also talking about what she's up to now. So, and why don't you say your name for me? Oyasumi K. Ogunlano. Oyasumi K. Ogunlano. What does that mean? Oyasumi K. Um, Oya is one of the Yoruba deities, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a priestess of Oya, so oh. my name starts with Oya. Fumi K. means brings, brings me to be petted or cared for. Mm. So Oya, the goddess, mm-hmm. brings me to be cared for. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I remember after Hurricane Katrina, because I'm from New Orleans, uh-huh. that um, I don't know if I knew oh yeah before Hurricane Katrina, but I definitely sort of started <laughs> really vibing with her. Uh-huh. <laughs> because um, I like uh, Gede, mm-hmm. um, because I, I'm like a real kind of cemetery person. Yeah. Um, I just love hanging out in the cemetery. And then I heard about Simon about oh yeah, that she is the guardian of the cemetery, but she also is like, the winds and the storms, and she like doesn't take any stuff. <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh, she's yeah. so cool. Change and transformation. Yeah, you know yeah. exactly what happens when the hurricane comes. Mm-hmm. Everything is new and changed down there. That's for sure. Right, right, yeah. And as people of African descent, you know, we're always like in flux like that, mm-hmm. which is kind of messed up because no one seems to want to leave us alone. You know, we're being <laughs> invaded, we're being sold, we're being kidnapped. We're being um, disappeared, mm-hmm. you know, in a variety of ways. Yeah. After we're of quote no more use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you could talk about um, your um, your journey? Because uh, Sankofa is a journey, mm-hmm. and and then we think about um, thinking about uh, Doctor Marima Ani. You know, Sankofa is a part of. You know, we have the Maafa, we have Sankofa, and we have a Yarisa. Mm-hmm. So why don't you could sort of talk about just that. The metaphor uh, of Sankofa as your life and your character, Mona, and then um, Shola. Well, it was a project that I worked on for nine years. Mm. (laughs) That's a long time. Yeah, a whole long time. (laughs) When I first uh, auditioned, I got three lines, and I was a character named Salome, who never even made it to the final movie. Oh. Rosalind Cash was supposed to play Shola, the yeah. character that I finally played. Mm-hmm. But I was in D.C. rehearsing, writing script, uh, doing spiritual work, and Rosalind was in L.A. So after about three years of me standing in for Rosalind, mm-hmm. it got just got to be my part, and it got to be pretty obvious that nobody could play it but me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I always say I stole the role. <laughs> in that nine years, we were rehearsing at Howard University a lot, out mm-hmm. in Rock Creek Park, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere we could, auditioning other actors and developing the scripts. My daughter actually, you know, remembers sleeping on a pile of coats in Howard's <laughs> theater department many and many a night as mm-hmm. I rehearsed. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it got so bad, my friends were teasing me, talking about, oh, you you still making that movie? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but it finally came out, and of course, nobody knew that it was going to do what it did. Really? Uh, we really? had no idea. But there was no movie like that movie we prior had to no. that. No. <laughs> really? You know, 19 years later, yeah. as I look back, if I had known what this movie was going to do, I'd have been documenting every step of the journey. <laughs> right. You know? No one did anything like that. No, not really. Oh, okay. Because you know how Spike Lee documents his work and mm-hmm. comes out with the making of, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Really? So now was... I've got some things I could piece together. Yeah. And do you know something with that pictures and other things, memories. Yeah. And do my own version of the making of. But mm-hmm. you know, this hindsight is always twenty twenty vision. Mm-hmm. Had I known that it was gonna be the classic that it is, yeah. I would have had a lot more stuff. Yeah, because we think about Sankofa, we think about Quilombo, we think about uh, Mapensula, which mm-hmm. is not as well known, but mm-hmm. I think it's a similar kind of story. Yeah. Um, told from a female director, um, spiritual woman's perspective, but I think it's a similar story. And, and it's more said in Africa than mm-hmm. um, than Sankofa, which is our journey. Yeah. But, um, hmm, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and um, there was a lot of sacrifice that went into this nine years, right? Yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, because I, I was reading that you were reimbursed for all of your travel, um to make the film, and then and then when the film was on the road, sort of having the screenings, you got reimbursed for all of that. But really, it was like your gift to the community because financially you didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Although the film has made money. The film has made a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, you can't get it free. You know, you were, you were talking <laughs> to me about forgiveness. Exactly. And that's my big piece. I'm trying to forgive highly for not sharing the profits like you promised mm-hmm. uh, that entire nine years. Oh, my sister, this movie does well. You know, I'm going to take care of you, my sister. <laughs> and I listened to that crap. And uh, was in Jamaica getting ready to shoot the first scene. Mm-hmm. Had all my makeup. He had my ticket and my passport in his possession. Mm-hmm. And he put this contract in front of me. And I'm like, that's not what I we agreed to. I'll oh, just sign it. You'll never see it again. Huh. <laughs> So I did, you know, I'm ready to start filming, and like I said, I had no idea that the movie was going to do what it did. So, you know, I'm still working on that forgiveness piece. I still have this vision, you know, next year is our 20th anniversary. Right, right. So I see this big gala event where he gives us all checks, <laughs> you know, even Nunu's children, yeah. her descendants, because mm-hmm. I really feel like if she had had her money, and been able to get proper medical care, she'd still be here. Who's Nuna? The woman that played Nuna, Alexandra Dua. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. She's been dead about five years now. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Every yeah. time she saw him, she would beg, beg, beg for her money. Oh, wow. That's a, Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh. <coughs> um, so... Uh, as you were, um, you know, on this nine-year journey, you were also having a sort of a simultaneous journey, I believe, um, around your spiritual mm-hmm. development. And yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about sort of the intersection of your spiritual awakening and the movie, the film, and and what that did for your character uh, mm-hmm. development of Mona and then uh, Shola. 
by the time I did Sankofa, I'd actually been a priestess for 12 years. Okay. So I was well on my way to my spiritual journey. I actually think I was chosen by the ancestors to play that role Mm -hmm. because I am an actress and a priestess. Mm -hmm. And in those rape scenes, I actually went to a corner and pounded my stick and called all the female ancestors who had ever been raped Mm -hmm. to come and help me film those scenes. And I don't even remember filming them. Mm-hmm. I look at him now, and I'm crying, and snot is running out my nose, and mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. that's really good. <laughs> yeah. But I don't remember filming them. Mm-hmm. It's actually, the one thing I do remember is one time my head actually did clunk on a cobblestone rock. I mean, really hard. It's mm-hmm. a good thing I have a hard head. Mm-hmm. But you see it. It's in the movie. And you yeah. hear, the, you know, my head hit the rock. Yeah. And I remember that. <laughs> but other than that, I don't I remember filming those scenes. Um, when I first got to Ghana, I just refused to go into that castle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you talk about how your ancestors were talking to you. <laughs> That's heck of cool. Because <laughs> he finally forced me to go in after about 10 days. And I felt like I was going to throw up. So I ran to where the the ledge where the cannons were. Yes. And I actually felt them grab me in the back of my neck. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Everybody here has been cast by us. You are here to do a job. You have to tell our story. Mm-hmm. You better get yourself together. <laughs> and then when they let me go, they said, you will be protected. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ganaba, the man who played Sankofa, the drummer. Yeah. Right. Uh, came onto the set. He was a hermit. I mean, we were so lucky mm-hmm. that he decided. He decided when he was asked, he first said no, mm-hmm. but then he said, "Well, I want it done right." So yeah. he came out to do it for us. Immediately fell in love with me. Stayed the whole week. I had to film, mm-hmm. and every time I had to go in that dungeon, he would go before me mm-hmm. and pour libation throughout the whole place, explain mm-hmm. to the spirits what we were doing mm-hmm. and ask their permission. Right. So that's the way I feel I was able to even go down in there and work because mm-hmm. it was horrendous, horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, had this been the first time you'd ever been to a slave dungeon? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, actually, it was my first time in Africa. No, 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 second time because mm-hmm. I'd gone to Nigeria to get initiated. Mm-hmm. But it was my first time to Ghana. Yeah, but there are dungeons in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. But I didn't go. I was on a spiritual oh. quest the mm-hmm. time I was in Nigeria mm-hmm. to find my godfather and get initiated and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, being chosen for this role, I, when I think about Sankofa, I think about Octavia Butler's um, protagonist who, in her, in her, her book, Kindred, and how this woman, you know, she has to go back to repair something yeah. so that her future generations, including herself, could be born. Mm-hmm. And um, Octavia Butler, she did a whole lot of that kind of sort of spiritual connections to the present. Um, and I was wondering uh, if you could talk about sort of what it means to be uh, an Ephah priestess and, and how, because you mentioned in some of your writing how you were running from that path. Mm-hmm. For a while, and um, and I think it was—I don't know if it was because you know, sort of meeting your daughter's father, and and sort of just being open or just listening. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. to what was happening, you know, what he suggested. Because he wasn't like, you have to do this. It was no. like... <laughs> it was an uh, intellectual challenge. Mm-hmm. He said, you don't have to believe in it. All you have to do is do it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I'm, you know, because we always try to intellectualize the culture when it's yeah, so simple. And, okay. you know, if you want to intellectualize it, then you run into one problem okay. after the other, okay. overthinking the thing that's just so simple. So that didn't appeal to my intellect, so I got a reading. And now that I can read, I realize that uh, that first reading took death off of me. Mm. I had to give nine pigeons to my ancestors and go to the cemetery and clean off with a tenth one and let it go. Um, I had to put this bracelet on and had to set up my ancestral altar and get an Obatalai Lucky. So I did all of that. And my landlord gave me the house I lived in. <laughs> Cost me $2.55 to put the deed into my name. So I've been Yoruba ever since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean when you say um, it took death off of you? What do you mean? Um... Now that I can read, I realize that that bar is only done for somebody who's about to die. Seriously? Oya is the goddess of death. She's yeah. the goddess that removes death. Oh. So if you've got to give her nine pigeons, that's yeah. some serious stuff that's being removed. Wow. And then to go to the cemetery, actually, and have to do another one and let it go live? Yeah. Yeah, I bought my life back. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. How old were you when that happened? Uh, about 30. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I had been pretty wild, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got one reading once a long time ago that said I had worn out my guardian spirit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hopefully they had time to rest and repair back on the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and was that at the time when, when you had you had two sons already mm-hmm. and, and then you had this, this uh, girl child? Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> So her birth, if you um, you you name your piece on your on your um, on your Facebook, um, my favorite child. My favorite daughter. My favorite daughter. <laughs> yeah, my favorite daughter. You only have one daughter, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. She was thirteen by the time she figured that one out, though. <laughs> mhm. By then, the good had been done. You know, mm-hmm. she had a firmly developed sense of self, and you know. Mm-hmm. That oomph that comes with thinking you somebody's favorite. She said she used to look at her brothers and go, I'm mama's favorite. (laughs) 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 Yes, I still sign her cards, uh, my favorite daughter. (laughs) It's a big joke between us now. Right, yeah. But you say that, you know, she was raised in Ifa, Mm -hmm. and that was just a whole other way of being in this this real toxic environment that we live in, yeah. you know, America, but it's, well, not just America, but Western culture in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she has her own sense of magic. She, you know, even when she was a child, we laugh about, uh, we were in Miami, and my father had flown her down to be with the rest of the family, but she wanted to ride back in the car with us. <laughs> she got on the airplane, and the plane had some kind of mechanical failure. So she and my father had to ride back with us and he looked at her and called her a little witch. 
<laughs> so she knows she has magic, and you know she's just becoming. Now that she's 33, she's you know opening up to being able to use it and willing to use it. Yeah, because I think you said that she's a child of Shango. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah the thunder mm-hmm. and the lightning. That's that's very magical. And been initiated for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she got a lot to work with. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, I wanted to talk about um, you know, Palmares, and I was just thinking about just looking at that place, um, uh, rejuvenation for healers, um, and also seems that you really celebrate the sacred feminine. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Palmares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's um. I think Sankofa was just uh, something to get my name known mm-hmm. and my work known. And Palmares is my actual work mm-hmm. because it's also something the ancestors told me I had to do. <laughs> I'm like, what? I got to do what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and, uh, they led me to the land. Mm-hmm. My daughter-in-law knew the lady that was selling the land. It's two hours outside of Atlanta. Okay. Up in the mountains in the Cherokee National Forest. Mm. Uh, very spiritual, highly, highly spiritual area, right where North Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee meet. Mm-hmm. And um, as soon as I got up there and saw the land, the ancestors again spoke and said, This is the land you must buy. <laughs> so I put a deposit on it that day. That was 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working on it ever since. In 2010, I got laid off from my job, mm-hmm. and I had asked God to just let me keep this job till I can retire. What were you doing there? I was uh, working for the New York Convention and Visitors Bureau. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an information counselor talking to tourists all day. Uh-huh. Fun job, great job. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, Broadway shows, restaurants, all kinds of perks. Yeah, So um, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, after they laid me off, they started throwing money at me. Because I told the ancestors, y'all know I ain't got no money. You, you want this temple built. We gonna, It's going to take a miracle. Mm. So they laid me off and told me about the pension plan. You know, I got the literature but never read it. And they told me I had between sixty and $100,000. So it was like I got up and did a little dance. Really? <laughs> temple <What>? money. Nice. <laughs> wow. Money. So when I got the check, finally it was $84,000. thought it would be enough to finish, but so far it's just been enough to get me to the point where I am now. Mm-hmm. So I've got some fundraising campaigns going on asking because um, I got a divination and Ifa said it's a community project. It belongs to the community, so the community should help finish it. So I've had to ask for donations, mm-hmm. and I've gotten some, but certainly not enough. What do you need to finish it? Oh, I need about another $50,000. That's not that Basics. No, it's not. Okay. And so um, what's going to happen there? At, uh, it's going to be, first of all, an uh, ancestral temple, mm-hmm. um, an Oya temple. Okay. Uh, it's going to be a healing retreat mm-hmm. where people can come, and we're going to have different waters and oils and just different people, mm-hmm. <laughs> healers. And uh, a retreat center, retreat site, people can rent it out mm-hmm. for their initiations or, you know, we've got, um, I work with the <coughs> Mother Eagle Ministries where we bring women up and do uh, healing by ritual. Mm-hmm. So we'll be up there. Like, just lots of different possibilities, mm-hmm. you know. I call it creating our own world. 
uh-huh. and I've named it Palmares after the Quilombos in Brazil, right. <laughs> where mm-hmm. people ran to be free. So mm-hmm. that's another thing I said, you know, Palmares, come on up and be free. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling people, because I believe that the earth is going to change, that there's going to be a great shift, and that there's a gathering. And God is gathering the righteous up at Palmares. Mm. So and we're going to be safe during the coming earth changes. We're going to have food to eat. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have to learn a new way of being. Right. But it's 40 different kind of herbs up there. It's all kind of animals to eat. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> vegans are going to forget all about that stuff. <laughs> be eating whatever's in the pot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I do believe that, you know, things are changing in yeah. a very positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a place um, on indigenous land here, um, not far from here, and we went there and met with um, Dr. Um, uh, Pukiao, um mm-hmm. and had a really wonderful time. The only thing is they didn't have a place, they didn't have lodging there, so we had to stay, um, you know, in the city and then drive up there mm-hmm. every day for the um, the retreat. We looked at um, um, uh, just the spiritual practice of the Congo, Key Congo people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, really nice. Mbongi. They're yeah. deep. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. It was heck of nice. <laughs> and it's sort of like, just sort of like the intersection, which is shaped like a V, which looks like the uh, the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like, and that was like something, that particular um, intersection was something that you look at. And it was just, it was really, really, mm-hmm. really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, um, is this a, a place, uh, Palmares, is, is it unlike any other place in the United States, which your vision is? Or because I know you're part of the Egungun Society and, and you stayed in um, Orisha or Ifa communities. And I was wondering, do those communities still exist? And so where are they? And what you're doing, is that just a continuation of mm-hmm. a tradition that's here in the United States that people are not probably not even yeah. aware of? It's definitely a continuation. It's not, uh, Oyotunji has been established for about 30 or 40 years now. Uh-huh. And um, with the new king, it's really progressing uh, in the way that it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm num- temple number seven uh, under the umbrella of Oshun Golden Harvest Temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Iamonife in Tallahassee has six other temples. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, seven... And I think now there's another one. I think so. Now she has eight, so I'm where, under that umbrella. Where are they at? One is in Tallahassee. One is in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, you know, yeah. the whole list of exactly where all of them are, but mm-hmm. I'm very proud to be number seven. <laughs> are, are any of them in California, or are they mostly in the South? Uh, mostly in the South, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll have to ask her, because there may be one in Los Angeles. Okay, and these are all um, female-headed? No, not all oh, of them. I okay. know number eight is headed by a man. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are headed by women. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, I just see it as a continuation. I think that we, you know, if we had a thousand Yoruba temples, you know, it wouldn't be too many. Mm-hmm. I got tired of seeing beautiful churches and beautiful mosques, and I'm like, well, it's time to have a beautiful <laughs> Yoruba temple. You right. know, mm-hmm. I envision. Like twelve foot high statues as people walk up the mountain dressed in white, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, of the Orisha. Uh, it's just it's gonna be wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How does how does um your spiritual path 
jive with how you were raised? Like sort of, you know, as as a child, were you well, was is it like seamless? Is there like no separation? It's just uh, just maybe a different way of looking at seamless, things. Cause, well, my parents weren't people that were overly religious. They sent us to um, what we call Sunday school. Mm-hmm. But at 13, I declared, I'm not a Christian. I'm not going back. And they didn't give me any problems with that. At 13? Mm-hmm. Okay. At 19, I tried Islam for a while. That didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you know, all these gods are crazy. So I went looking for a sane God and found it in Yoruba culture. Mm-hmm. You know, gods that understand fun and... There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as the devil. I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, and uh, it wasn't easy because at first my parents, you know, didn't like the idea. But my brother had been in it five years before me and kind of broke them in. Mm-hmm. But even after five years, by the time I got in it, my mother was still talking about y'all walking around in them rags and practicing that shit. <laughs> What rags? African car. Oh. She called them them rags. Oh, okay. <laughs> but by the time she died, she had her shoe by the door, her Yemen jaw altar set up. Really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and dolphins everywhere because mm-hmm. she was Yemen jaw. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time my father died, he made a total transition too. Mm-hmm. He would sit there and let us do anything we wanted to do. Daddy, we need to feed your head with a ram. Okay. What's that mean? Um, We kept my father alive so long that the reading started telling us, leave him alone and let him go, my brother and I, Mm -hmm. just doing different elbow on him. So we finally told him we were being selfish Mm -hmm. and to let him go. (laughs) So when when you talk to the ancestors, what, do you like have a conversation like you and I are having a conversation or is it... Are you sleeping? I mean, how does it... Sometimes. I certainly hear them very well. You know, like, and then we have a system of divination that we use, mm-hmm. and they'll talk in that, or I can go to them and ask them a direct yes and no questions. Mm-hmm. So it's a variety of ways that they communicate. And if they want something, they let you know very clearly. Mm-hmm. Things like one morning they told me, get them their coffee, mm-hmm. and I got distracted, <laughs> and I kept here and get the coffee. And so I'm still distracted. I walk into the kitchen and knock coffee all over the floor. (laughs) I got the coffee. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. So could you talk a little bit more about, you know, the whole idea of the sacred feminine and, um, you know, with regards to, like, your past? Because I noticed that you were a part of these different... um, female spiritual circles um, uh, from the Earth Mama Healing publication to some other things. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. As well as, I know there's usually a reading that happens, mm-hmm. and I was wondering um, if that, where that took place and, and what, what the prediction was. Um, reading for me? Or for, um, for, I thought, like, I know sometimes there's a reading for the community for the coming year? Oh, yeah. Different people do readings of the yeah. year. Do you do that? Commu- no. Oh. I usually call my girlfriend, Monifa, and get her reading. <laughs> Follow those prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see, but your first question, oh, the sacred feminine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's a work 
But I grew up very sheltered, so I feel mm. kind of stupid in not knowing that so many black women were sexually abused mm. and as children. Mm. So a lot of the work we do is just healing work oh. to get these women to a place where they can function in, you know, healthily in society. Mm-hmm. But also a lot of the work is teaching young girls how to believe that they are sacred mm. uh, and to stop wasting their energy on no good men. And, you know, have goals and ideals and strengthen yourself mm-hmm. before you start looking for a man. Mm-hmm. Hormones keep us crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this man thing becomes so prominent in our minds mm-hmm. that they can't think of anything else. So mm-hmm. we just try to show them a, a better way of being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we take them through different rituals, cleansing rituals. Mm-hmm. Um, Healing the body, healing the mind, healing the, the womb, mm-hmm. the vagina from abuse. Oh, nice. Where do you do that? Where do you do that? Um, usually with the um, Mother Eagle Morning Camp Workshop. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I'll be, of course, branching out and doing my own thing once I'm up on the mountain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wherever we're called <laughs> mm-hmm. to do it. Oh, so like we could call you and you could do it here? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. How long does it take with the whole process? We usually do a weekend, but that's, that n- never seems to be enough time. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it's a start. A lot of women come back mm-hmm. for a second or third session. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I guess within that, the girls or the women learn that they are enough. Yeah. They are complete. Yeah. They get a, a sense of self, self-respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and self-love is mm-hmm. what we try to instill. Because right. so many of us just don't have it. Mm-hmm. And self-love. Yeah, yeah. Through your through your training, you know, as as a performing artist, you you have a lot of discipline. And then through your practice, uh, you know, as Ifa priestess, you also have a lot of discipline. And and I was wondering if you. <laughs> I'm trying to, to laugh. Trying not to laugh. Oh, you don't agree with me. <laughs> It would appear that yes, way, appear way yes. <laughs> but I really don't. <laughs> you know, I'm rather undisciplined, but evidently I'm disciplined enough. I don't believe in very strict discipline. Mm-hmm. I, be, I believe in being gentle with yourself mm-hmm. in whatever you're going to do. Um, Not only discipline, like, you know, punitive, well, yeah. I mean discipline in that you are in control. Oh. To, to as much degree as you can be in control. That's oh, yeah. what I meant. Like, oh, yeah. you know, really purposeful. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's yeah. a mindful, yeah. that kind of discipline. Mm-hmm. No, no, I don't. I don't. I totally agree with you. No, no, we we don't want to be. No, we should love ourselves and be happy and laugh a lot like you do. Like, like uh, if it ain't fun, why do it? Yeah, yeah. Nedra was laughing at me because I came out here to the EPI conference a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to not one session. I'd walk in the room and they'd be arguing. I'd turn around. She said, where are you going? I said, to find the fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I'm the freest person I know. Mm-hmm. And if I could instill that in these, you know, a lot of young girls, mm-hmm. I think my daughter's finally getting it. You know, she's a travel agent. She's been all over everywhere, mm-hmm. sometimes by herself. So right. she's getting it. Mm-hmm. You know. <clears throat> She has a strong sense of self, mm-hmm. and this is off the record, even though she's doing, I want to get married, I want to get married, I want to get married thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> that they do at 33. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, 
trying to talk her down off of that one, but it, it's not going to work. The hormones are stronger than me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that, you know, finding one's mate, that's, that's real hard work. Mm-hmm. And Especially and in this day and age. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be a young woman well, wanting a husband now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because there have been periods in your life where you've been alone, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah long periods. Mm-hmm. And I find them nourishing. Um, <clears throat> I go up on the mountain for the last two years, last two summers. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I went up there, I stayed for six months by myself. And then last year, I stayed for five months. Six months? I know people come and people go. For the most part, I go up there by myself. Mm-hmm. Quiet. I mean, you know, God's noise because it's far from quiet. Crickets right. and birds. And yeah. But, um... Yeah, I th- I think I'm in. I call it my crone stage, oh. where I feel mm-hmm. the powers developing, and up mm-hmm. there on the mountain by myself, mm-hmm. I really feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Have your crystals and stuff, <laughs> like little potions, yeah. little magic stuff. Baths, all of it. <laughs> and my godchildren were up there. I've got a goddaughter has three daughters, fifteen, nine, and ten. Mm-hmm. And so one day I'm out on the porch and I go, I can airbend. I'm an airbender. And the wind came. Oh, wow, for real. Oh, man. I ran in the house. <laughs> and then I said, that's my goddaughter. I said, did you see that? Are oh, you conjuring, huh? Said, oh, yeah. I saw it. <laughs> wow, that's cool. It was another time a guy made me mad up there. Mm-hmm. And that night, this storm came up and raged and raged and raged. When he tried to get off the mountain, a big old tree had fallen and blocked his path. Wow. I looked at my goddaughter and said, I missed. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> you didn't miss. <laughs> Just wanted to shake him up. <laughs> oh. oh. But then he called me three days later and told me tornadoes had followed him all the way to the Wow, wow. Isn't that the strangest storm you've ever seen? Oh, man, you are representing well, aren't you? Man. I just laughed. That's awesome. <laughs> That's heck awesome. Yeah. So you're, um, so when you're not traveling, you're on your mountain? Uh, as much as I can be. Mm-hmm. But I'm based in Brooklyn. Okay. Oh, so you're still in New York. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you doing? Are you acting anymore? What happened no, to that? No, not at all. Um, I don't like the audition for one. Mm-hmm. Sankofa kind of broke my spirit for a long time. Mm-hmm. After highly refused to pay me, you okay. know, kind of turned me off of acting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I'm open now. Like if somebody wants to give me a movie role and pay me, yeah, <laughs> this time mm-hmm. I'd be happy to do another movie. Oh, and okay. use the money to finish Palmar's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> in yeah, but grand way. Do you do any writing like that? Um, um not really. I can, I should, mm-hmm. and uh, keep telling myself I'm gonna get to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it definitely could write my own scripts like a lot of people do. Yeah. Because uh-huh. mm-hmm. I was just thinking, you know, just sort of your story around, you know, sort of the people that you worked with as you were training to be the actress. Um, you know that we saw in in that that great film. Mm-hmm. I mean, those that that's really historic and monumental. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the people you worked with, mm-hmm. 
yeah, that are no yeah. longer with us. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. I did have some great training. Um, DC Black Rep with Robert Hooks and Bantow Whitfield and mm-hmm. then um, Ebony Impromptu with Harry Poe. And then just, <laughs> I went to UDC at a time when it was Federal City College. We had a great theater department. And I was half of the time up in Howard's theater department because my boyfriend was out there. So that whole combination just, mm-hmm. I think that gave me the courage and the skill to be able to do Sankofa, mm-hmm. going through that kind of training. Bernice Reagan was our voice teacher. Yeah, that's what I read. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Clyde Barrett was our musical director. Mm-hmm. Mike Malone was our dance instructor. I mean, we were tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we were going to New York to do a play with, we had a company called Watson, Watson North and Watson South. Mm-hmm. So uh, Watson South, which was D.C., was going to do New York to work with Watson North. Mm-hmm. And we were a little intimidated. We were going to New York, around New York actors. We got up there and found out they were doubly intimidated because they had heard about us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, we went up there and really rocked New York. It was one of Woody King's first productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cause you mentioned the New Yorkian um, mm-hmm. uh, Poetry Cafe, yeah. and then you mentioned um, the Negro Ensemble Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Proud to have worked with all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. but they're like family, and they don't make me audition. <laughs> Well, at this point, <laughs> just you know, me the role. Yeah, yeah. That at some certain point, I would think mm-hmm. your artistry speaks for itself, and yes. and the person sees you in the role, and they say, okay, you know, this is the person I want, and they just mm-hmm. are you available? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At a certain and, point, yeah. you don't, you shouldn't have to audition anymore. Yeah. Like that's the way I feel about it, mm-hmm. you know. And they respect me enough mm-hmm. to you know just say, okay, we got this role for you. Especially the last role I did. Um, for a Negro Ensemble Company was what by one of my favorite playwrights mm-hmm. called North 17th Street mm-hmm. by Clay Goss, a writer out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I played the conjure woman. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was filling in. I mean, I took the role. Somebody had to leave, and they put me in as a fill-in. Similar to the Sankofa one, mm-hmm. huh? And some people were resentful, hmm. but then one of the guys gave me the highest compliment. He said, as soon as I heard your first word, I knew we had to conjure one. Mm-hmm. So they got over it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, neat, neat. So if people want to uh, donate, uh, where should they send their money? They can PayPal to my Hotmail account, okay. which is Fumiko. It's F-U-N, Fun Mike in English, <laughs> M-I-K-E. And then the letter O mm-hmm. at hotmail.com. Okay. Just PayPal for that, and I will get it. Okay. If they need a snail mail address, they can hit me up on Facebook. Okay. All right. And message me, and I'll send them a, because a lot of people don't like PayPal. Okay. No problem. All right, super. And you will be um, at the Oakland Museum on Friday for the screening of um, yeah. Sankofa. <laughs> I'm real excited about that, mm-hmm. you know, because I, yeah. I know I've got a lot of fans here in Oakland, mm-hmm. and I'm so looking forward to hugging everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. It's yeah. like, wow, wow, it's like 19 years, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. 20, so are, is anything planned besides 
special for the 20th anniversary? Not that, that you know I know of. of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody's contacted me yet. Mm-hmm. That's one of the sad parts about somebody owing you money. They stop speaking to you. They act like they're mad at you. They don't let you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because he did something in South Africa and didn't even tell me. You think I didn't want to be there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With Sankofa. Yeah. He won't put me on his... Um, Speakers Bureau, mm-hmm. if you call his office and ask him how to get in touch with me, he'll tell you he doesn't know. Wow. Yes. Wow. So not only did he not pay me, he's not helping me yeah. in going into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, talk nice. about forgiveness. That's my lesson in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. i got to learn how to forgive. Um, but... <laughs> I'm glad he's not coming to the film festival because I would probably have smacked him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then I would have forgiven him because <laughs> the publicity would have got me another film role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, probably so. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he says. He says no such thing as bad publicity. Sankofa star slaps director. Yeah. You know, um, of course, you, I'm sure you know um, Louisa Tish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so does the other day. Oh, so am I. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, yes, she's I got some uh, Four Thieves uh, mm-hmm. vinegar for me. She's going to tell me how to use it. Um, yeah, but she was talking about, um, I think she's a child of Oshun. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how people come to her to apologize after wronging her, and then and then um, the goddess tells her, you know, to forgive them, and she's like, "Do I have to?" Because <laughs> so otherwise, because they can't go on, like they're stuck. So what I'm thinking is that it's probably going to come to a point where, <laughs> yeah, in order for him to keep moving, he's going to have to. Yeah. If I had said so more than once. Oh really? Yeah, that this man has to pay you. Yeah. He just has to. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's running. He's made so much money, at least seventy five mil. Well it is it's it's I mean, 'cause you make it. I mean, you make mm-hmm. the story. I mean I think about Muda Baruka mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um <coughs> Yeah, I mean not only that, I wrote a lot of the lines mm-hmm. and we did spiritual work at the Step of the way. Mm-hmm. Nunu was an icon priestess. Ah, really? Uh-huh. Wow. Our famous the guy who played Noble Ali, the Mobatala priest. Oh my goodness, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. Uh, and Mutu was just spiritual man, you know, yeah. high holy man. Yeah. So one day I had a dream. We were going to film in a cave in Trelawney. Mm-hmm. And the crew was scared. They thought it would be dangerous. So I had a dream that night that... Uh, we had to had to get Muta, had to get Nunu, had to get our family and go clean the cave. So that morning I wake up and I'm doing laundry by hand and I hear my ancestors say go outside. I ignore them. <laughs> so they said it next time a little louder, go outside. We told you to go outside. I keep watching. So the third time they scream at me, go outside. I go outside, Alexandra's out there, sister to play Nunu, she had the same dream. <laughs> so we woke up, our same move, we woke up Muta, gathered the stuff we needed and went and gave that cave a spiritual cleaning. In a little ante room, we found the slave master and his wife buried their graves. <laughs> so we immediately knew why we had to clean out that cave. Yeah. 
the history of the place they had actually housed the Africans, the enslaved Africans in there. Mm-hmm. So people had lived in there. Mm-hmm. And, but after we cleaned it, there were no incidents. You mm-hmm. know, everybody had a good time. It was mm-hmm. really nice. There wasn't even any bugs in there. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. <laughs> and yeah. it's, the, it's the cave you see when the maroons come in mm-hmm. and they meet the and take people, the initiation from yeah. that cave. That's what, I love that part. Yeah. That's when, yeah, when, when um, Shola comes into her herself mm-hmm. as an African woman. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I love the conversation. I really want to come to your mountain. <laughs> you can. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna figure out how to wait out how to get you here. How much? How much would it cost to um to bring you here to do um uh, a ritual for for wow. the women? Um, I have to think about it. Talk to Nedra. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she would be involved. Oh, okay. We could get at the price and see how we get Yeah, because I'd love to do that during my Asa yeah. Awareness Month in October. Yeah. Okay. 